Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. Back in the 1960s and 70s in the city of Pittsburgh, there was a nickname for guys like John Moon. The Unemployables which simply meant that no matter where you went for a job, nobody would hire you. Moon grew up in Pittsburgh's largely black and economically depressed Hill District. In better times, the Hill had its own Negro League baseball team and jazz clubs that hosted Duke Ellington and Louis Armstrong. But by the time Moon was graduating high school in the late 1960s, there was no escaping the neighborhood's unemployable stigma. The reputation was there. I don't want to go to the hill because you may get beat up. You have drug addicts and alcoholics, and that same label was placed on myself, and and I understood that. But just because that was your thought doesn't necessarily mean that I had to live up to it. So Moon was glad to land a well-paying job right out of school at the local steel mill, only to discover that the hours weren't as reliable as he had hoped. Next, he was an orderly at Pittsburgh's Presbyterian University Hospital, which provided steady employment, but not much else. All I was doing was making beds and taking people back and forth to the operating room and lifting and stuff like that, mechanical things where you didn't have to think. For a while, Moon tried his best to find meaning in the work. But there was a part of me that said there has to be something more that I can do. Then one night, halfway through the graveyard shift, Moon watched as two men burst through the doors of the hospital. They were working desperately to save a dying patient. And as they rushed by, Moon stood pressed against the wall and wondered, Who, who are these people? What, what, what are they doing? What, what, you know, how did they get to be able to do that? Maybe today he wouldn't bat an eye at this scene, but in 1970, nothing about it made sense. The two men weren't doctors and they weren't nurses, and their strange white uniforms weren't hospital issue. But these guys came in with a certain type of confidence that was just shocking to me from uh, the very point that they came into the room. And they had an emblem on, on, on their breasts that just piqued my interest. The emblem was the two-snaked caduceus, the traditional sign of medicine and healing. But just below the familiar symbol was a word John Moon had never seen before, paramedic. Moon wasn't familiar with the term paramedic, because back then, no one was. That's reporter Kevin Hazard. Moon was witnessing the birth of a new profession, one that would go on to change the face of emergency medicine. But to Moon, perhaps the most striking thing of all was that these first-ever paramedics looked like him. 
I'm standing here looking at these these two guys, and, and I'm saying to myself, my God, these are black guys. Never before had Moon seen young African-American men performing that kind of work. These were two guys that had afros and beards. And the staff on the floor gave them a, a level of, of, of respect that amazed me. And there's something I never really mentioned to, to anyone is, is I actually snuck off of the floor and I actually followed them out to the vehicle because I wanted to see what prompted them to show such proudness and, and, and boldness. Once I looked at that vehicle pull off, it was almost like, there goes my job. <laughs> That grows my career. That's what I want to do. Moon vowed right then, halfway through his long night shift, to become a paramedic. Whatever that was. And in Pittsburgh, in 1970, the only place to do that was an organization called Freedom House Ambulance Service. So I went and applied uh, to get a job with him. And the rest is history. But that history about how a group of young black men from Pittsburgh became the world's first paramedics is still largely unknown. I'm a former paramedic myself. I did this job for 10 years. And you'd think the profession's origin story would be a big deal. But the truth is, most of the EMTs I've talked to have never heard of the Freedom House paramedics or understand what we owe them. Today, it's easy to take what paramedics do for granted. Call 911 and they'll arrive with cardiac monitors, airway equipment, and an array of pharmaceuticals to treat anything from heart attacks to gunshots to premature births. But then, in the mid-60s, something happened which flipped the paradigm for emergency care on its head and laid the groundwork for the invention of paramedicine. In 1966, the federal government published a white paper that would prove so influential that even now, in EMS circles, it is simply called the white paper. Basically, it told us we were killing over 50,000 people a year on the highways and, and doing so unnecessarily, that there was a way to intervene and save those people. But we didn't have the people, nor the resources, nor the training to do a whole lot about it. Techniques practiced by combat medics overseas had been largely ignored by the medical community, with the result that a person was more likely to die of a gunshot wound in America than on a battlefield in Vietnam. The White Paper shamed the government into providing money for EMS development on the local level, and government officials and local community leaders began searching for solutions, including a community organizer in Pittsburgh named Phil Hallen. Oh my God, why do I do this? Hallen is a former ambulance attendant who came to Pittsburgh in the early 60s. And yes, he hates being interviewed. Okay, how long are we gonna be going on this? I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't last very long at, at, at age 90. Hallen ran a civil rights organization called the Maurice Falk Medical Fund, which examined health disparities due to institutional racism. And he immediately focused his ire on the city's pitiful emergency services. What was your impression of the level of care that was available in Pittsburgh? Well, it's, it's, it wasn't my impression of it. It was the way it was, you know. There wasn't any level of care. There was no such thing as emergency medicine or any of the things we now look back on and think, well, what, was, what, what the hell was going on? 
No, there was nothing. I mean, nobody was trained, especially the cops. He could see that what was going on was effectively a public health crisis that was disproportionately affecting black neighborhoods. But then one day, Helen came across an article in the local paper about a black-operated jobs training program based in the Hill District called Freedom House. The article described how Freedom House had rolled out a kind of mobile grocery store for black neighborhoods using trucks to bring fresh vegetables to people's doors. And, uh, well, health care is terrible in the Hill District. We have to do something. If, we could, if they could run a grocery van around, why can't we run a medical van around or something like that? This wasn't just the birth of a profession, but of a whole new branch of medicine. It would become a vital link in the chain with a subculture all its own. And the world's first fully trained paramedics would be staffed exclusively with young black men from the Hill District of Pittsburgh. And the people that worked there all were labeled unemployable. Freedom House recruited many of its first students right off the street, most of whom were just happy to land a good job, even if they were a little fuzzy on the details. John Moon wasn't part of that first class. He signed up a little later. But even he admits that, as incredible as he thought the opportunity was, he didn't fully understand what he was getting into. On some level, he was just excited to finally be wearing the uniform with the cool emblem that he saw on the first night. I'll put it this way. Um, if you someone bought you a $1,000 suit and just gave it to you and said, just walk up and down the street in it, how would you feel? That's the way I felt. I was at the point where, uh, okay, I got this uniform. That's all it takes to help people. And boy, was I wrong. It took a little bit more than that. After they signed up, Moon and the others underwent a battery of psychological evaluations and interviews with medical professionals. They learned anatomy, physiology, CPR, advanced first aid, nursing, and defensive driving. At first under Saffer, but later under Freedom House's first medical director a 30-year-old white doctor with no previous ambulance experience named Nancy Caroline. And we looked at her with skepticism because you have to remember, she's not black. But once we found out that her heart was with us, that was really nothing she could do wrong. And everywhere she went, she took us with her. Caroline got the trainees access to almost every department of the hospital. She had them work in the morgue, the anesthesiology suite, and the maternity ward. And of course, if they were going to bring the ICU to the street, they had to master everything that happened in an ICU. So that included spinal immobilization, cervical immobilization, IV uh, insertion, and the advantages of, of, of classroom training for us at that particular time is we would learn a procedure in class, or she would teach it to us, and then we would go out a half hour, 45 minutes later, after we got out of class, and perform that procedure on the person. And Freedom House paramedics were often the first people to perform that procedure outside of a hospital. They were among the first to use Narcan to reverse an overdose, and the first to save a patient by shocking their heart in the field. Moon told me that the biggest first he personally experienced came on a call where Nancy Caroline was riding along. It was a, a, a patient having trouble breathing. He was unconscious. So Moon started calling it in. 
But then Nancy Caroline stopped him. And lo and behold, she said, start an IV and intubate this patient. And I said, repeat that. She says, start an IV and intubate this patient. Moon thinks he was the first paramedic who was ever asked to intubate someone in the field. I wasn't able to confirm that, but intubation, the subtle but critical art of snaking a breathing tube into a patient's trachea, is an incredibly difficult procedure. I've gone through the training. It's not easy, even in a hospital setting. And here they were doing it on the sidewalk. Moon says he was scared to death. And once I gathered my nerves together and remembered how she had taught us in the anatomy lab, uh, I went ahead and did it. And once I intubated the person and took him to the emergency room, I had to deal with the ER doctor saying, well, who intubated this person? Who, who, who caused them to be intubated? And I said, I did. And you are? I said, well, my name is John Moon, and I'm a paramedic at Freedom House Ambulance Service. But it wasn't enough for Moon and the other paramedics to simply master the techniques required for emergency medical care. Freedom House personnel faced an even bigger challenge from the moment they got the call. The city had contracted with Freedom House to handle calls in Pittsburgh's mostly black neighborhoods in the downtown area. But the Pittsburgh police dispatchers often refused to send them. Because uh, the police looked at us as someone taking their jobs away. But Freedom House looked at the police as being a threat to the patient. And one of the things that we had to put in place is we use a police scanner and we would monitor the calls and we would subsequently uh, try to get to the scene before they did. Moon recalls getting to the scene just seconds after the police arrived and seeing them try to drag patients out of wrecked cars. And here we are saying, no, you can't do this. Let's put them on a spine board and put a cervical collar on them. But remember, these were a bunch of black guys from the Hill lecturing mostly white cops. You know, and we're yelling at them, and they're cussing us out. Sometimes the police would relent, but other times they would threaten the paramedics with arrest unless they backed off. And, you know, the only thing you can do is just stand back and say... Okay. And then you watch them drag the individual out of the car and put them in the back of a paddy wagon and, and, and both guys get up front and they race off to the hospital. So those were oftentimes battles that you were not going to win. And it wasn't just the cops who didn't understand. Patients couldn't fathom why Moon was using a cardiac monitor and starting IVs in their house instead of hurrying them to a doctor. Their idea was, let's call the ambulance. The ambulance comes to pick you up and take you to the hospital. That's all they knew. And it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to explain to a family member that we have brought the emergency room to the person. Trying to convince white patients to submit to treatment was especially difficult. Some wouldn't even let the black paramedics touch them. That was frowned upon on more than one occasion uh, where... They would say, no, do you have to really do this? Uh, I would prefer that you not do it. And, and it's, it's something that we had to endure because the problem was not with us. The problem was with the patient. 
uh, it was their belief or their preconceived notion about the individuals that were touching them. The same went for doctors and nurses at any hospital not directly affiliated with Saffer and the Freedom House program. Moon remembers trying to read a patient's vital signs, only to have a nurse laugh in his face as if he was pretending to play doctor. Other Freedom House paramedics were mistaken for orderlies and asked to mop the floor. Medical apartheid, the dark history of medical experimentation on black Americans from colonial times to the present. Much of the workforce at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is criticizing the agency. A letter signed by more than 1,000 employees describes a toxic culture of racial aggression in the CDC. NPR has obtained that letter, and its allegation of bias is very relevant since the CDC is battling a pandemic that statistically has been striking people of color harder than others. NPR health policy reporter Selena Simmons-Duffin obtained the letter and is on the line. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. What case does this letter make? Well, it talks about the disproportionate impact of COVID on people of color that you mentioned, that the CDC should declare racism as a root cause of those disparities. And then it says, quote, Yet CDC must clean its own house first. Hmm. It goes on and says we, quote, can no longer stay silent to the widespread acts of racism and discrimination within CDC that are, in fact, undermining the agency's core mission. And then it outlines seven remedies from disrupting the old boys club that promotes mostly white employees to increasing black representation in senior leadership and more. And we've published the full seven page letter at NPR.org. Well, who are the people who signed it? Well, I talked to Dr. Kamara Phyllis-Jones. She was a medical officer at CDC for 14 years and is still in touch with current employees. She told me 1,007 people had signed as of Sunday evening. The agency has about 11,000 employees, so that works out to be 9% of the workforce. She said you had to be a current employee to sign. You could only sign once. And any employee could sign, not just people of color. So it's not clear what the racial breakdown of signatories is. And I should note that the signatures were gathered after the letter was presented to agency director Robert Redfield, and they're still being gathered now. Well, how is the CDC answering this charge of basically structural racism within the agency? CDC gave NPR a brief statement acknowledging that the letter had been received by Redfield and that he had responded and that the agency is committed to creating a, quote, fair, equitable, and inclusive environment in which staff can openly share their concerns. I understand that Redfield did not respond to the specific request for action or the specific allegations in the letter. Okay. Um, what is it that people are saying in a little more detail about what is happening inside this agency? Um, well, no current employees at CDC would speak to me about this, even on background. My sense is that they're really nervous. Uh, but I did talk to some former CDC employees, including Jones, who I mentioned earlier. Here is what she said about her initial reaction. When I saw the letter, it was a feeling of resonance. <laughs> it was a feeling of resonance. I know that this is no exaggeration. Mm. I also talked with Greg Millett, who was a senior scientist at CDC and is now at AMFAR, the Foundation for AIDS Research. The letter resonated with him, too, though he personally had strong mentors at CDC. He said he's found CDC unwilling to engage with the reality of racism in public health. And in the coronavirus pandemic, he says that's a real problem. CDC has been MIA on race and COVID-19. That, to me, is shameful. Well, Selena, let's get the facts out there then. How big is the disparity between people of color and others? 
Well, the data are incomplete, but it looks like Black and Latino people in the U.S. are at least twice as likely to die from COVID-19 than white people. And Jones says if Black scientists at CDC aren't being empowered to work on these disproportionate impacts and are instead having to deal with workplace racism. We are squandering, we are squandering genius, we're squandering insight, we're squandering talent within CDC that could then lead CDC's mission to address the health issues of the nation. She says CDC should seize this moment, and she's not that confident that it will. And Pierce, Selena Simmons, Duffin, thanks so much. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, July 17, 2020. So I have been told our weekly broadcast neutralizing workplace racism. Wow. What a week. What a week. Uh, We will do our best to offer suggestions, try to solve problems without creating new problems. Wow. Wow. All you can say sometimes. Let's see. Uh, the new number make sure we give that out go in correct order new number uh, seven, make sure I'm still struggling myself with a new number let's see but written down 720-716-7300 we'll do it again new number seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred new number neutralizing workplace racism code is the same five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate Number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Broadcast again, not for spectators. If you have figured out some things that work well, particularly with all of the man, just chaos and confusion that is happening. If you figured out some things that work well to stay safe during the COVID situation, if you figured out some things to work well to make sure white people are not pestering you to come and talk about the protests or, you know, what should be done about racism or any of the rest of it. That would be great as well if you're working from home and have figured out some codes uh, to keep white people from causing you problems while you enjoy time away from the racist office environment. Share Uh, if you don't uh, or if you're not able or don't want to dial in directly, you can email until justice at Gmail dot com until justice at Gmail dot com. Wow. Let's see. I'm going to go in reverse order. So I'll start with the report last. So I just global 
health crisis. That's what it's been for at least the last four or five months or so, um, if not most of this calendar year. And you would think Center for Disease Control, hey, all hands on deck. Let's, you know, get it together and pitch in to solve some of these problems. Uh, we got so many people who, you know, are reporting that they are sick, or ill, we need testing and all of that. No, no, no. We have to stop and devote time and energy to discussing racism, white supremacy at the CDC and the headquarters is in Atlanta, Georgia. The mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, not only did she test positive for the virus, according to reports, her husband, uh, apparently he still, you know, has not recuperated and they're not allowed to mandate masks being sued by the governor all in the state of Georgia. Uh, but yeah, the CDC is right there in Atlanta. And instead of being able to say, hey, we can devote maximum time and energy to that, we got to siphon off a little bit. Wait a minute. We got to have a little PR response to allegations of white supremacy racism. And that's especially important because they said, hey, we got this health crisis. They keep saying this impacting black people. We should be a part of that solution. I was going to say problem, but solution in terms of getting the data and why is this and what should be done about this? And as they said, we got to clean our own house first. I had a major pause while listening to that segment because <clears throat> the cows context of white supremacy, we've been broadcasting for 11 plus years at this point. We've done a lot of broadcasts talking about racism and health. We read medical apartheid, uh, we had Dorothy Roberts on the program, Killing the Black Body. She's been a guest repeatedly. Uh, Stephen Bezruchka, uh, Dr. Augustus White III. Uh, we've had many, many programs, more than I could count, dealing with racism and health. Even had some more recently this year, Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington. All of those programs uh, where we end up talking about, or you can even go back in the archives like Dr. Roberts, Dorothy Roberts, she was on the program in 2009, like way back from when we first came on the air. That was something that we paid attention to, thought it was important. The White Privilege Conference, that was 2010 when I uh, went to Wisconsin, broadcasted live. They had a theme for that year and the theme was health. Uh, they had uh, Dying While Black. Vernelia uh, Randall. She was one of the keynote speakers. She talked all about health and racism. Uh, Dr. Joy DeGruy was there. She talked all about health and racism. They had a number of speakers. That was their uh, specific focus. They had a documentary film. Uh, what is it? What is it? It's uh, it was a PBS film. It's like unequal health. I don't remember the name of it, but it came out like 10 years ago. I'll get it before we go off. Uh, but it's like eight hours, right? I think it aired over like the course of a week or so, but it's all on racism and health. And I think Kamara P. Jones, doctor, she may be in the film. If she's not, they reference some of her work, people that are in it. They reference some of the work uh, that she did when she was at the CDC. She's no longer employed there. So I reached out to her in 2010 and I just remember getting lots of resistance, which is typical. You know, we are, despised worldwide by white people and victims of racism. Uh, but I reached out to speak with her to say, yeah, I'd like to, you know, discuss racism and health. You know, even at that time, we'd only been on 
a year. Uh, and even at that time, we still had a pretty impressive collection of programs dealing with health and racism. It's like, yeah, Dorothy Roberts has been with us and blah, blah, blah. Dr. Nancy Krieger, she's up at Harvard and blah, blah, blah. I'm rattling off the different programs. And so I'm on the phone talking with a representative at the CDC. And she says, well, Dr. Jones, you know, her research is really specific. You know, she, she doesn't just talk about things in general. You know, she's a scholar and she does really specific research. And I said, oh, well, that's great. You know, we take a lot of pride in being prepared for our programs. And I see she has published uh, reports where she goes in depth on some of her findings dealing with racism and health and and how specifically racism damages the health of black people. Like, yeah, that's that's great. She says, "Mm, I don't know. Are you really sure you understand? And I was kind of taken aback, like, I don't know. Does she think? I'm too stupid to talk to her. Like, does she, like, I'm not, I'm not, it was, it was new. Like I said, we'd only been on the air for about a year or so at that point, but even still, it was kind of, it was kind of odd. Like I, I do not recall another experience like that. And I mean, we've had people from, you know, top universities around the world and all different disciplines and such. Uh, and I do not recall someone like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's you probably, probably be a waste of time for her to talk to you you don't even know what she's talking about dang really like you can't even get anyway i remember that distinctly sitting on the phone and trying to talk to dr jones uh and getting stonewalled and they did not make it easy to get information at the cdc so to hear that report sometime a 10 years later to hear that report and now she's not even working there and the employees at the CDC are afraid to even talk to NPR much less Gus T. Renegade but they are afraid to speak to ER out of fear of retaliation in the middle of a global health crisis an embarrassment of the highest order in my opinion and again that's why there should be an extraordinary sense of urgency. Let's solve this problem to de- the people we depend on. Where is the vaccine? The Rona has ruined our lives and it's costing people jobs and it's wrecked the global economy and all that. The people we would look to get that vaccine. You know, we got or at least tell us what to do. Do I need to wear a face mask? You know, how many times do I need to wash my hands a day and all that? And uh, no, 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 we got, you know, scandal. Apparently they were exchanging racist jokes at the copier and the negras are not getting promoted so might take a little bit more time to get that vaccine we got a few things to get straight here at the cdc what a disgrace speaking of medical apartheid the first segment the freedom house academy and talking about the history uh, of ems emergency medical responders uh, and how you had a lot of black workers uh, who kind of helped pioneer this field. Fascinating. I'm, you know, not a, I'm not a medical student, so I don't have uh, tremendous medical expertise or expertise on much of anything. Uh, But that was all news to me. I do know we covered uh, the program body and soul. Uh, It was 2012 spring of 2012 And that talks about the history of the Black Panther Party Party, and specifically their efforts 
uh, to address racism in health, how they started uh, a lot of ambulance programs because of racism. And exactly what you heard in that segment, really shabby treatment and the police come and you're already injured and they crack you with the nigger knocker and throw you in the trunk and drive off recklessly. And, you know, now you have five more injuries in addition to whatever the problem was initially. Uh, but they started an ambulance service. That was amazing, I thought, on uh, many accounts. Uh, Number one, what they said, some of the victims and talking about their beginning this training and now they can go out and help people. They start an IV saying that they would have a white woman like a nurse or someone look at them and just crack up laughing like, oh, my God, look at the little nigger pretending like he knows how to do some medical procedures. Isn't that just adorable? Look, come, come look at the nigra. Do it again. Like, wow, that that again, that is a great illustration uh, when Mr. Fuller and some other folks have said that they thought the problem was. Hey, we just need to go out and work hard and study. Once we get a few skills, we show these white people like, hey, we are intelligent. You know, we're deserving of correct treatment. We are not the idiots and everything that, you know, they've lied on us and everything. Once we show them that that's not true, they'll be like, oh, okay, these these color folks aren't so bad. That's not the case at all. <laughs> not even halfway close. Like, and then you heard the other part of it, like, wait a minute, these niggas are trying. That's taking our business. We're not the police. She's talking about the police. Protect and serve. Protect and serve. (laughs) Not sending these colored folks any of our business. Forget they're not even trained to do the IV procedure. You don't even have medical knowledge to save a life or what have you. You just want to be a little race soldier. The gall. Uh, I I thought it was fascinating as well. Uh, The the view he kind of had, it reminded me of the way kind of people talk about president Obama a little bit, just on a you know small scale. But the way he said, and he kind of saw these black guys and they came in, they had the uniforms and they're skilled and they're handling the patient, and everything. It's just like, wow, black self-respect, the way they were carrying themselves and all that. He's, wow. That's, that's what I want to do. Like I suspect that even now, 2020, a lot of black people are not accustomed to seeing a black person in charge who's not being ridiculed and called names, that sort of thing, having racism practiced against them where it seems like they're shown a level of courtesy and professionalism, like even now creeping towards 2021. That's kind of an odd thing. Even if they're the president of a country, that's kind of an odd thing in the system of white supremacy. Again, why there should be a sense of urgency to get this problem solved. Even with all that, I did think it was great. I think ambition. I've heard Dr. Welsing uh, talk about that before. Mr. Fuller as well. Dr. Cambon, many, many folks that I think are serious about solving this problem. Uh, They encourage us to have ambition that works against the system of racism, Uh, wanting more for yourself, wanting a better position, wanting to know more, learn more, do more. All of that works against the system of racism, Uh, even knowing that whatever it is that you're attempting, planning to do, expect opposition. Race soldiers do not want us to do even crossing the street. It's supposed to be a problem for the Negroes, so expect opposition. But even still, 
be ambitious uh, that works against the system of white supremacy. Again, I'd encourage Alondra Nelson, author's name, Alondra Nelson, uh, the book Body and Soul. I think it's on the shelf. If I give a gander, it's close. Uh, Body and Soul, but that's the book. And it talks uh, exactly what we were just discussing, uh, the history of racism with regards to medicine and specifically EMS response. Uh, and how they would do a deliberately poor job of caring for black people. And then how whammo black people stepped in and were a part of solving that problem. Anywho, uh, they talked about health disparities, health disparities with regards to racism in that segment. They were talking about that from the 1960s. Here we are over a half century later and still they say alive and well the system of white supremacy what an embarrassment all right that was to uh the cdc report i thought was so important might bring that up again tomorrow just critically important with everything that's happening right now uh that's it uh if folks have commentary you can email right in uh i'll get to some of our emails before we get to the folks who dialed it oh man wait a sec knew i forgot one pause before I get to the emails do folks remember this was from 2018 so maybe people don't recall uh, missing CDC workers death was a suicide by drowning this is the uh, CNN report uh, the CDC worker who was missing for nearly two months before his body was found in a river in Atlanta died of suicide by drowning. The Fulton County chief medical examiner, Dr. Jan Gorniak told CNN Wednesday, Timothy Cunningham, 35 was last seen on February 12, 2018. His body was discovered in the Chattahoochee river in the Northwestern part of the city on April three in April. Police said there was no indication of foul play in his death. Authorities made a positive ID of the remains by using dental records. Uh, it, this caused a lot of, Hmm. It caused, oh, I remember there was a great deal of suspicion. I'll put it that way. Uh, He was missing uh, for some period of time. There was suspicion about his death. This is another one of those odd suicide rulings. You can compare, compare and contrast Robert Fuller and some of the current cases that are happening across the country. This was another one. Black male employee at the CDC who was very young uh, to die. Strange circumstances. Uh, There were a number of black children and older people who were also found in the Chattahoochee River suspiciously during the so-called Atlanta child murders of the late 1970s and 80s. Popular dumping ground for black bodies, it seems. Just when I heard that there were many things that came to mind when that CDC report came up, that's the walking dead. They go to the CDC. That's an important you know, organization that is a part of why the city of Atlanta is so important in the system of racism, white supremacy. But yeah, that CDC report important for many reasons. I hope people remember Mr. Cunningham. I have to go back and do some more research because we talked about him uh, quite a bit uh, back in 2018. All right. Now, workplace racism. Uh, the emails. Okay, email number one. Let's see. 
black female victim of white supremacy. Uh, thank you to you and the callers for the advice given last week on how to remain codified in the face of lots of blacks, black lives matter related activities in the workplace. I must admit, I have not been paying enough attention to my diet lately, so I appreciate the prompt. I also really like the retired firefighters recommendation to do an inventory using each of the areas of Mr. Fuller's list of people activities. It had never occurred to me to do so before this was all a part of uh, our conversation last week about self-care and things that we can be doing to kind of monitor and make a check on ourselves, see how we're doing under these very stressful times. Continuing, I am working my way through your recent broadcasts as I've missed a few. I'm not sure if you had uploaded an older broadcast of the cows, which reviewed the March on Washington. I absolutely did, but it popped up on my feed for some reason. It's one I had not listened to before and highly recommended to people who want to put the recent Black Lives Matter white ally and corporate responses in context. It seems this is a well-tried strategy that racist suspects roll out when black people even hint at rebelling against racism. It also reminded me of another occasion when management had organized an informal discussion on bullying and racism in the organization. I mentioned it to my immediate manager racist suspect who wasn't in the good standing with other white managers and did not know about the meeting. I don't think she was acting because of her reaction. Her instinctive response was, oh yeah, management just wants to know who's complaining. I stayed away. That word complaining, that's how you say, I'm never making a complaint a gripe I don't have a grievance only make reports about things that are potential violations substantial difference and see there that's again why I say I don't go to you know human resources you know they're talking bad about me and me I don't do any of that we're not doing this because we are concerned about the Negro. Black Lives Matter. No, 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 no. We just want to identify the troublemakers. Which one of these folks do we need to weed out of here? Who have you been bullied in the world? Oh, Todd. Okay, that's one. Todd's been bullied. See if we can get anybody else. Have you been bullied? Definitely anybody. Now, who's had a problem with racism? Write them down. <laughs> and just work to get rid of people. No surprise at all. And that's interesting. That's why I said. If you can have some white people around just to get information, we're not here to gossip and talk. You know, what are your plans for the weekend? And, you know what you did define the Rona restrictions and all uh, information about what's happening here. That's great. Even if she slipped up, if that's one where she didn't, you know, like we were talking about, uh, what is it? Uh, the click where, you know, they got their little private texting and all that so they can uh, rendezvous and coordinate activities in a mischievous manner, unjust networking, miss out on one of those text message messages, and she reveals a little bit of truth. You know, maybe if she had been included, she wouldn't have said all that. <laughs> would have just been, oh, okay, they got the meeting. Mm-hmm. Not included. And she says she's not in good standing with them. 
she doesn't maybe she doesn't have as much of an incentive to be deceptive on their behalf. That does happen sometimes if you have white people who are squabbling with one another. Sometimes that can end up revealing truth or something constructive for a non-white person in the vicinity. I've seen that happen a number of times. Much obliged. Uh, just encourage folks with the diet. Uh, super important. I hopefully being really codified with regards to workplace and not just eating any craziness and things at work, uh, even about the foods that you take to work. But if you are stressed, <clears throat> feeling depressed, angry, frustrated uh, about what's happening right now, monitor your diet. Uh, make sure that that doesn't become an excuse to just consume a lot of sugar and craziness, you know, fried foods or whatever your favorite foods happen to be. This can't become an excuse to just binge on those. Uh, this is, in fact, becomes even more crucial. Eat correctly. Make sure you're eating nourishing foods to build up your body uh, when you are not feeling well, like meaning depressed, feeling down, low energy. Man, super critical what you eat at those moments because you can make things drastically worse. Eating bad foods, lots of sugar and fat and all those chemicals and dyes and everything. Dr. Lathan talked about that. We're really sensitive. What do they have in all those Cheetos, hydrogenated oil and the food coloring and poison, all the rest of it. We are super sensitive. Uh, so you want to be really careful uh, about what you eat, get nice, healthy foods, uh, maybe even eliminate that white sugar. That is not good. If you are already feeling a little down, a little depressed, I think even some therapists will say that no white sugar if you are not feeling well if you're feeling angry frustrated stressed about things that are happening in life all right let's see if we can give out the number correctly take me a few probably weeks to get it down let's see seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred that is the new number same code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate <clears throat> let's see uh, uh, first couple of folks who dialed in if you have commentary to share line should be open proceed hi guys greetings be in Toronto Hi, greetings to you, callers and listeners. Um, so, yes, I was just um, quickly reviewing the Dr. Timothy Cunningham situation, and I noticed that I remember the story quite well as to what occurred. Um, at first, the family had said on the news when they were being interviewed, mainly the parents were saying that there wouldn't have been a reason um, for him to commit suicide, even though uh, he did not get the promotion and he was having some difficulties at work and um, there may have been uh, traits of, of mild depression, but it wasn't enough for him to commit suicide. And then interestingly enough, um, as I was researching on the internet, um, it now says that he was struggling with his sexuality that he was um, also uh, angry about not getting a promotion and, um, and that he was sounding paranoid. 
these are things that I don't recall from from the two years ago when the first, the story came out. And in this article, it's suggesting that it's the family and friends that are saying this, which I'm highly skeptical as to these family and friends that are saying this about him. Uh, but then after I went into looking about the drowning, and it's very hard for one to drown themselves, as, as we would know, um, unless there's some kind of like a, a external vice, like a weights or or a heavy rock, or even if it was uh, the use of medication um, to cause fatigue, um, such as um, different types of pills or even the use of alcohol, it, it, it was nonetheless very suspicious. So that's for that part. Um, for the paramedics' um, history, I remembered my son had told me about it uh, three weeks ago, no, actually two months ago, uh, he said that he had read about it. And when he told me about it, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Like it was, it was quite interesting. And it's, um, however, to be expected that this type of history is, is going to be hidden. Um, as with, with many, um, uh, things about our community that how we, our community members have pioneered, um, and problem solved and, but they get hidden. Um, but I'm happy that the story is out. The history is out. Um, the other thing is I was looking on the CDC um, and it was uh, talking about um, the different ethnic groups that are affected by COVID. And um, contrary to what was mentioned in, I think it was the NPR, um Native Americans are the highest um, right now, followed by uh, black people. Then um, they have um, they have uh, Hispanic Latino, uh, again, a very ambiguous term, uh, followed by whites that are affected by COVID-19. Uh, and that's on the CDC site. Um, and now for the report. Uh, so uh, last week I had mentioned about um, the pandemic pay as well as the premium pay and how I sent in an email um, to the Ministry of Finance to find out further answers as to whether the former employer had uh, received funding. Lo and behold, um, Wednesday of this week, I received a deposit into my bank account from the former employer. And then today, I received an email from um, the Ministry of, um, of, uh, of Finance. Um, so I, I would definitely urge um, essential workers to go and find out about that pandemic pay, find out if your workplace received funding for it and if you were to receive it. And if you don't get an answer from the employer, as I did not, even to this day, have not received an explanation from the former employer, um, then definitely take it to um, the appropriate department 
um, or and or ministry of um, that deals with the pandemic pay. The way that I found out about it was contacting uh, the premier's constituency office, asking uh, where can I uh, get the contact information for the follow up. I was given an email. When I was given an email, I I forwarded the inquiry, and uh, I, I I suspect that they were contacted, and hence the reason as to why I received the pandemic pay plus the four dollars per hour premium for all the hours that I've worked. So um, definitely uh, continue doggedly to to get that information so that you have more money in your bank account. Um, as a result, because a lot of these organizations um, uh, may uh, may not give you the pay. Um, I know that with the former um, plantation that I was at, all they gave were edible fruits. And I'm pretty sure that the edible fruits were not to be a substitute for the pandemic pay. Uh, let's see. Other than that, um, I've also noticed that uh, when what I would also urge is pay attention to when coworkers are are um, asking you questions. Uh, find out what they're saying as well as um, uh, paying attention to when they ask you these questions. And the reason why I mentioned this is at the new place that I'm at. There is one coworker that I was uh, overhearing speaking to um, uh, another coworker um, asking about you know uh, different um, different questions, and when the other coworker would say, "Oh well, you know I plan to do such and such," then the other coworker would turn around and try to turn it as if they've made a suggestion to the coworker who already said they were going to do such and such. Um, so for instance, um, say coworker uh, A mentioned that uh, a client threw a chair and broke it. Coworker B um, uh, turns around and goes, oh, that's, that's interesting, what happened? So then coworker A would say, oh, well, you know, uh, the client was just um, uh, in a disruptive mood. And I've taken a picture of it, and I'm going to send it to the supervisor. Then there would be a little bit of conversation that passes, and then coworker B will turn around and say to coworker A, "Well, you know, why don't you send a picture to the supervisor?" Um, and then as that's happening, there's upper management that's passing by. So then coworker B looks as if they're giving coworker A advice, when in actuality. They are just repeating what coworker A has said. I hope that I made that clear. <laughs> um, but other than that, I leave the line. Thank you so much. Much obliged, B in Toronto. I think I'm familiar with that type of thing. Um, the last type of scenario you described where uh, often someone classified as white, especially in a workplace scenario. It can be in like a classroom setting too, especially once you're higher up, like uh, university type settings uh, where they want to show off their expertise, so to say. So you already know how to do something. You weren't asking like, in fact, you had already laid out uh, the protocol in 
be protocol in terms of what to do, uh, how to respond to that situation correctly. Uh, and they are trying to make it seem as though, yes, they are guiding you and giving you the appropriate details on how to handle this type of situation. Yes, I'm I'm unfortunately familiar with that. Uh, let's see. Bravo for asking questions. Uh, we say that all the time, just asking questions. You don't have to yell uh, and stomp and get angry. Take a little bit of time. Take some deep breaths. Sometimes it can just be one question, two questions. You know, you try to be efficient even with question asking. Uh, and sometimes you don't even need an answer. She asked for information about the bonus pay, essential workers. You know, what's going to did we did we get that pay? Don't even get an answer. Boop. Funds just appear in your account. Now, if she had not asked those questions, do we think the funds still would have just magically appeared? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, I am also familiar with that type of situation as well, where something constructive, something beneficial, uh, where if you don't ask, you don't get it. Uh, and even sometimes if it's something that you're supposed to get and you have to ask and ask and ask and they don't answer this. Oh, I've seen that as well, but asking questions, that is one of the best techniques of counter racism in the workplace. Just ask your question. And especially if you can submit it electronically, then you got electronic record. Even if they don't answer, that's great. Bravo. That works too. Got an electronic record. I submitted my question. March, 2020 It's almost August. Where is the information? Is that prompt response? Do we take six months to respond? See, more questions. Bang, 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 bang. Edible fruit. I had to make sure I get that in. I mean, talk about tacky. Now, I have had some yummy fruit. Like, I have pictures uh, of fresh mangoes. And, man, I have pigged out on cotton candy grapes this week. Man, come on. <laughs> I... The fruit that I love, let me think, what's the fruit that I love the best out of my niggardly experience? What's my favorite fruit? <sighs> Yellow watermelon. Figs. Cherries. So we'll stop there for a moment. Yellow watermelon. Figs. Cherries. Cotton candy grapes. Those are pretty yummy. Cotton candy grapes. So if I came in and it was like a bushel of all of that. Thanks for, you know, your dedication to the, unless it was like, you know, eight pounds of all of that. It had to be like 20 of the watermelon, but like, and it was all just for me, all organic, all sealed. Like nobody else has, you know, come in and, oh, this is great watermelon. No, no, no. no. Just, unless it was like that. If this is just like some tacky little fruit basket you get a few apples and some dried up prunes <laughs> come on not to mention someone has spoken pretty strictly about not eating in the workplace that would include like you gotta be joking like we're in the middle of the Rona and an edible fruit basket are you crazy like come on come on I'm good on all of that uh, at worst like 
a gift card to wherever the fruit basket place is. Like, I want to make sure you all get your antioxidants in, get those blueberries. Whammo, go and get some organic fruits on me. Fine. You know, even that still like, man, where's our bonus pay? I would much rather have that. But I mean, a fruit basket. Heavenly Father might as well. What is it they give? What's the tacky thing they do at? Uh, I haven't had it in so long. I don't celebrate the Christmas holidays, but it's one of those. It's like a spice cake or something. It's kind of an insult gift uh, gift that people give like a rum cake or something ridiculous. Like people don't even get like you might as well give me one of those or a candy cane or some other trifling stocking full of coal. Give us a fruit basket in the middle of the Rona. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, uh, if you have commentary, lines should be open. Let's see. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I haven't called in a while. Evolutionist Injustice. Uh, recently, I'm giving a report on uh, workplace racism. Uh, recently started at a, uh, a new place, and I'll be teaching a uh, form of kickboxing. Um, so-called branded by another company, so I won't say the name of it. But um, so many things. Uh, I'm so glad I learned that uh, racists will show you who they are if you just pay attention. And uh, I took this job, and my goal every day, if I have to interact with white people directly, is to try to make it hard for them to practice racism, white supremacy. I try to, uh, yeah, I want to make it hard. I want to make them so frustrated that they hate to see me coming. They hate to know the days I'm working and they lust for catching me up on the days I'm off. But uh, I started this new job and, of course, everybody in the company at this location is all racist suspects. And it started with my interview with the owner uh, slash head of my the, the department I'm in. He's a part owner. And uh, he started the interview by being about 10 minutes, 12 minutes late. And, of course, had me waiting. And this has become very, very typical of my so-called workplace experience with racists. And I think it's just like, it's just chess. They, they want to sit me in a room somewhere and hope that I sweat over what could be coming. But, of course, I was expecting it this time because my last three interviews, the same thing happened. The person interviewing me, whether it was the owner, general manager, or even the regional general manager, they were always late. So I waited patiently, and the racist comes in, and uh, he sits down and says, oh, but what's your background? <laughs> now, I've given him a resume, uh, I think two different resumes, and, you know, whites always are networking. They know about their niggas. And uh, I said, background, because <laughs> it was funny, because I believe they think that's a trigger word, because unfortunately, uh, I have spent time in greater confinement, and because I don't wear it on my sleeve to testify to how Jesus has saved me or something, they, of course, want me to volunteer the information and be some type of poster child for underprivileged black males who've been in greater, you know, to greater confinement. But... Depending on the state law, I don't even have to open my mouth. It's been over 20 years ago that it occurred. So he said, what's your background? I said, well, you, you have my resume. What do you mean background? Tell me a little bit about you. So, well, you have my resume. What specifically do you mean? And himself, part owner, 
and then uh, another gentleman was in the room. Uh, they both were stunned to silence that I asked him questions directly after him asking me a question, and I asked him to be specific. What did he want to know specifically? And, of course, he was vague again, and he gave uh, his personal background of, well, I'm a trainer, and I, I, I'm a blah, 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 and yet I do this. And I said, okay, that's good. And Okay, specifically, what company in my resume are you asking about? And, of course, he was shocked again that I think they're surprised that we dare to question them or talk to them in a way that would lead to balance. So uh, we got those preliminaries out of the way, and I said, well, I enjoy what I do. Specifically, uh, I enjoy transferring constructive information that other people can use to solve problems that they may have in the areas of health and fitness that I apply myself to. And from there, the interview went uphill because I believe he pushed his notes away, whatever he intended on asking me. He knew that wasn't going to go well. So he sat back and he said, well, okay, let's just, let's just tell me a little bit about your background. And he stayed on the specific that I asked him to be, uh, that I asked him for earlier. So at the, before the close of the interview, the other gentleman in the room, I had to ask after about the fifth question, I said, um, what is he in here for? Is this something important I should know about this gentleman or is he, you know, uh, about the job or the assignment task. Oh, okay. He inter- and he introduces them as another uh, potential co-worker. And before the last question, uh, he asked if I had any, and I said, no, I don't have any questions. So right before I got up, the other guy goes, is it okay if we do a background check? And I really wanted to say, hey, man, you can do whatever you want. You know that. But I didn't. Didn't take the bait. And I looked at him and said, I'm sure you can. And that was it. As if they didn't know already that I've been in greater confinement. And they just wanted to see me sweat. But I take the words of a racist. Every interview I go in, either they're going to choose you or not. Simple as that. And so, of course, they chose to allow me to serve them in this capacity at that so-called business. And since then, uh, I've had the other owner he uh he lined me up with some potential business in this business and the potential business he said he said to the potential business to qualify me to do my job for this person he said you shouldn't doubt him meaning me because he looks like he could shank someone on the street and my job has nothing to do whatsoever with shanking someone on the street. So it's just what they call a Freudian slip or a racist logic slip. Things that are, as Dr. Francis Cresswell said, even in their reasoning, their logical reasoning is racist conclusions. So he couldn't help but come out of his mouth with such a ridiculous, I don't know if it could be called a comparison or a ridiculous reference for why I'd be able to do my job well. And so when he said that, I looked at him and said, I don't understand, I don't, I don't know what else he was saying, but I said directly and clearly, she already expects me to be that, right? And he 
stopped talking, looked away, and changed the subject completely because I was not offended, astounded, or uh, I wasn't confused because I expected him to practice racism on every interaction. So uh, the person who he lined me up with, I meet this person, which is a white racist female, I suspect strongly. Um, she comes into our first meeting with short shorts and a halter top with her belly sticking out, her unmelanated pink flesh that she had rhinestones glued to her belly button down to her crotch under her shorts and no panties. First time meeting me, the one she was told I could shank someone on the street. <laughs> and, uh, I immediately turned on my video camera on my phone and laid it in the corner of the room while I was talking to this suspected racist. And uh, 10 minutes into the talk, she brings up that she didn't go to another place of business because it's a former cop, as she called him, worked there and he was very authoritative and rude. And since she has a hard time getting along with people, for which I asked her why, and she said she didn't know, she didn't want to go with the former cop. Total total lies. <laughs> so total lies. I think she was trying to provoke me to run with the racist rhetoric that we have a problem with cops. Don't follow it one bit of one minute. So to wrap the story up, she did not she was not allowed to draw me into that conversation. And all I responded by saying was there's a book by a white gentleman named Norm Stamper called Breaking Rank. And he said that I believe, I think I was wrong, I believe 30% of the people who join law enforcement are predators, violent, potentially sexual predators. And that's why they took the job. And she said, and I made sure I haven't mentioned the word race or color since I've been working at this place. She, she said, oh, if, if a racist cop doesn't understand what's going on in the world, then they're a part of the problem. I said, a racist cop? She said, yeah, well, you know, there's racist cops, some racist cops on the fourth. And my question was, some? With the tone I used, I asked the question, some? dead silence. She stopped her little false anti-racist ally rant. And again, I didn't pick up the conversation, went back to what I was teaching. And at the end of the session, I asked her when we'd be meeting again, and this racist says, I don't know, because I got like three or four protests I have to attend. Not one question from me about what protest, where protest, not a word. And she paused and looked at me after she said she didn't know when we meet again because these three or four protests she has to attend. And there was about five seconds of awkward silence with me looking at her with no question in mind, waiting for her to answer the question. And, of course, she didn't. She paid and paid in advance to see me again <laughs> for, for about a month and uh, haven't heard from her since. And that's my counter-racist report. I, I plan on continuing to practice the things that I am attempting to write into a 
um, a uh, an addendum to the code by Mr. Fuller, uh, which is tips to recover oneself from the sunken place. He's dealing with white racist men and white racist women, and they are sexual predators. Thank you. Was it evolutionary justice? Just making sure I'm evolutionist. Evolutionist for justice. Evolutionist for justice. Yep, X Clan, X Clan verse. Gotcha, gotcha. Much obliged for the report. Uh, White people can show you. Better than I can tell you. Uh, always good to have a question. I think uh, when you go into interview processes, uh, because it seems a lot of times they will ask. So, do you have any questions for us? Always think it's good to have at least uh, one question. Uh, sometimes I encourage uh, do your homework. Uh, before you take a job that way you can know a little bit more information sometimes that just doing some background checking you'll be surprised you know what things you'll see that type of thing but I think it's great to have at least one question Uh, but yeah if you are in that situation going into an interview particularly if you've noticed like you said noticing that they were coming into the interview late kind of have you see if they can maybe build up some anxiety like oh man I hope I get this job that type of thing not being surprised about that either uh, if they come in late or try to do different things to try to get you nervous or rattled just try to expect that stay calm take your time remember hey <laughs> system of racism white supremacy that alone should be enough just keep you calm deep breaths take your time follow logic and ask questions if you get confused or just want to be sure ask questions I think that was a great question just getting them to narrow because I'm hey, I can ramble you know I'm not fives I've been on the planet a few years so I mean I could be talking and talking and talking if it's tell me about yourself like my goodness like you know give me some parameters you know help me nail it down you know and you know what you want to know you know what information you want to know get specific so we can get right to it let's stop coming in late now wasting my time like let's get to it man get to it uh, but just asking questions uh, can help speed along that process. And I think he uh, shared with us that these whites, they seem kind of taken aback. Like, whoa, Nick was asking us questions. Like, whoa, what's uh, even asking about who's present? That's a good one, too. I think if if there's someone present for the interview process uh, and they're not talking and or they have not been like introduced I think that that can be a great question, right? Who is this person right here? Maybe future coworker, possibly just, Oh, okay, great. Nice to meet you. Just check in. You can even ask what's their role. Are they just here for observation purposes, training purposes? Uh, they, you know, part of the hiring process in a different capacity. Like, you know, I always think that's good. It just shows that you are observant and even acknowledging that there is another person uh, present, even though they're not actively participating, at least not in the verbal component of what's happening. Uh, let's see. The shank. Now, this is at least 
the second time on neutralizing workplace racism, where we've had a victim of racism report either someone was going to shank them or they are rumored to have a shank. Now, we're in a workplace. We're not in a prison. Even if we are in a prison, like a shank? Really? Like, what type of prison? <laughs> like, whoa. But shanking someone? Violence. It's so consistent. System of racism, white supremacy, and violence towards black people. Uh, I think the report before our caller in Florida, uh, he was going to be shanked. Right? We got to keep an eye on these niggers. Might have to shank one of them. Uh, and then here, you've got uh, someone might shank someone on the street I don't even know I can't even I don't even have a picture in my mind what does someone look like I said oh man that's a tough dude right there this fella he looks like he could shank someone on the like what is that a compliment like what does that mean does that mean that you're in shape does that mean you've been eating right doing your push-ups and everything like I look like I could shank someone like what what and I've said that before in a workplace context, like I don't think I could be totally wrong. I haven't been to your place of business. I don't think that white woman that you worked with, I don't think he talks to her in that man. I don't think his, that's his compliment of her. Like, wow, this way she is so fit and trim. She looks like she could shank someone on the street. I don't think so. We've had other people who have called in and said, hey, uh, they've had a white person. And it'll be like a high ranking, not the janitor or someone who works in the mailroom, like a high ranking uh, white person at the company. Hey, what's up, player? How you doing? Player? (laughs) What? Had that before. See, see, see. Pimpin. That was another one. What's up, pimp? How you doing, pimpin? What? What are you? Isn't that a criminal? Are you saying I'm trafficking and uh, doing some sort of sexual trafficking? What are you talking about? And do you talk to anybody else in this work environment like that? Does anybody else who works here look like they could shank someone? That's how fit they are. Or if that's what it even means. I don't know. Maybe it means you're fit. Maybe it means maybe it's, you got a bulge in your hip. I don't know. All of that. I wouldn't even dig that. That's one where I would give them the long. I don't even think they would get the. Mm, it would just be silence. Maybe I whip out. I asked him the question. Oh, I'm sorry. You said you. What? I, asked him if she could, I said to him, I said, she already thinks that anyway, doesn't she? And it took him totally out of. He was I think he was lining up another joke or so-called joke. And he looked away and looked back at me and changed the subject. Disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. Um, All of those I would jot down in the workplace diary. That's even a good response to, as opposed to saying something. Whip out the pen and pad and just write. Looks like shank someone. Date time Friday, July. Uh, okay, put my pad back. But that's a great one. She already thinks that way, doesn't she? Staying in the question lane. <sighs> so the man, not, not even regardless of your qualifications, how intelligent I you are. I just said that. The man, not right. Second before you said it. <laughs> 
That's why I said she already thinks that way, doesn't she? Doesn't matter. You are rapist, criminal, convict, death row inmate with a shank or needing to be shanked, either or. Man. Uh, great responses. Sticking with the question lane. Sticking with the question lane. Boop, boop. We said that you probably will have other uh, victims will probably have that type of scenario where you get a white person who is coming in to brag and, oh, I'm a cool white person. I'm the coolest white fella you've met in 2020. Look how many protests whip out their phone. Bam. See on them. Look at here. Follow me on Instagram. Look at here. This is me. I was out protesting. I was up at Chaz, right? I was up there. See? Right around. That's me. I urinated over where a police car was at. You know, we threw some bricks in right there. See, that's me right there. Stayed out there. It's going to be a whole lot of that, probably for the rest of the year. So have a excellent coat. If it's no response at all, or if you want to have one quick question to get at all of that, but I am sure we have not heard the last of uh, the white protest, the white ally in the workplace more of that to come for the rest of the year uh excellent uh reports sir much obliged for sharing keep putting in practice uh your counter racist code with the questions uh let's see let's give out the new number again evolutionist for justice make sure i get that correct next time let's see all right Number again, new number, 720-716-7300, same code, 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Let's see, other folks, we have missed, if you have a hand up, uh, line should be open. Proceed. May I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, hello. This is Construction Victim. And I'm calling in because I have uh, three workplace reports that I'd like to share. Uh, my first report is that I was working with a non-white male that would be classified as, I guess what you would say, Hispanic. He was told to measure something by the white foreman, and when the non-white male couldn't understand what the foreman was requesting, the white man literally took him by his hand and led him like a child to the place that he wanted him to measure. So that was my first report. My second report I was working with another non-white male that is from the area of the world known as Honduras. And he was told to do something by the same white foreman. And he was confused by the directions of the white foreman. So he started to do the complete opposite of the white man's instructions, to which the foreman watched him for about five minutes and then ran up to him and yelled at him for not doing what he wanted him to do. Uh, he called him a stupid, fat F, dumb, effing Mexican, and he said, I should pull your fat A out of that machine. 
So after the white foreman left the non-white male, he came up to me, the, the non-white male from the door came up to me and said, I don't know how you're able to work with this guy. He's always yelling. And when he gives directions, they're never clear. He also said that he makes me so angry, but since I'm a Christian, if I get angry with him, God will get angry with me, to which I didn't even respond to any of that. And my last uh, workplace report, uh, I almost got dragged into a disagreement between the white supervisor and that very same white foreman about the placement of a sewer line that we did the day before and the concrete that was poured. So it's about two, it's about 7 a.m. and the two white men were yelling about the location of the pipe and the concrete. So the white foreman said to me, can you tell me where the, can you tell him, excuse me, can you tell the supervisor where that pipe and where the concrete is poured? So I said, we can just uncover the pipe and see exactly where the concrete is. Uh, I highly suspect this was the white foreman practicing racism by trying to get me to go against the white supervisor. However, I suspect that both could be practicing racism because of their white bonding. After the location was found, the supervisor hugged the foreman and then grabbed his butt up as it was all smiles from both parties. And that is the end of my workplace report. Context of white supremacy. A lot of uh, homosocial bonding. Uh, in fact, we did all that talking uh, about Princeton. Dr. Nell Urban Painter, victim of white supremacy. Cowbell, unfortunately. Uh, she wrote the book, The History of White People. She was a guest on the program in 2010. That's probably on a lot of reading lists right now. Uh, one portion of that book that we talked about with her specifically is the homosocial, homoerotic nature of white culture, white supremacy culture on display again right there. But yeah, I always think that's uh, I, we mentioned it before. Now, sometimes when whites have conflict with one another, sometimes that can be constructive for non-white people. They might even reveal some truth inadvertently in the midst of the conflict. Sometimes it can be dangerous for non-white people because you will be pulled into things and you might be asked to participate on one side or another and all that. And then regardless of what happens at the end, they are not confused. We are white. You are Negro. They will patch things up and get back to the business of dominating Negroes. You see that on a micro level and on a macro level. So always grit. Don't get confused, startled. None of that. They are homies uh, when this type of thing goes down. Uh, let's see. The victim, non-white male, so-called Mexican uh, all of the profanity I, I remember Elijah Muhammad he talked about going on a job to work and he said he would always tell them at the beginning of a job do not curse at me uh, if you have to fire me if I'm not working up to standards do what you have to do but do not curse at me uh, and just setting those parameters black self-respect very important in the world that's why I said 
I wouldn't participate in any crass jokes, humor type things in the workplace. I wouldn't participate in any profanity. That's why I do a lot of that. Ma'am, sir, Mr. You know, so-and-so that type of thing. When I uh, speak to people, that's why that's the way that I talk to everybody. I don't go around here and you dumb SOB and you fat this number and I'll beat your rate. I don't do even in the best of times. I don't talk to people like that at all. I don't talk to people like that once I get frustrated either. I don't and I expect the same thing. You're not going to be cursing and talking to me and then blame because they'll do. I said it'll be a lot of that right now, especially because everybody is stressed with the Rona and all that. So it'll be a whole lot. You know, I'm stressed and oh, I'm worried about this and my children. We got school start and I'm sorry I had to call you a no count dirty SOB son of a. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that is no cause for all of this. Uh, and in those, especially like if you do any sort of like carpentry construction uh those i'd even say uh restaurants if you are on the back side of it not if you're out working with the people but on the back side <clears throat> it can be really crass on uh, the way that they talk to people i would get that straight like hey i do not do there are bare uh levels of professionalism in terms of how we talk to each other i don't curse at you i will not tolerate that if you like it if you have to fire me, that's what it is. No problem. But I do not tolerate that at all. I would make that very clear. Um, as for the, I think he said the victim said, you know, hey, you know, he does all this. The guy asked him, I don't know how you could put up with that. And he says, you know, I'm I'm a Christian. If I get upset with him, then God will get angry with me. <clears throat> no comment there either. Don't argue with people about their religion. As Mr. Fuller says, if that's what your religion says, that's what your religion says. But that to me, that sounds like the religion of white supremacy. Now, I don't know if he says that's what his religion is, but that's what it sounds like to me. The religion of white supremacy. Slave, obey your master. Don't you get upset at that white man. He's a kindly old white fella. He's just having a rough day. The Rona's just got him down. He's all right. You pray for that white man or white woman. <laughs> the religion of white supremacy. But like I said, I would not even say any. I wouldn't say a word. Nothing. If that's what your religion says, that's what your religion says. Black self-respect. Absolutely. May I add one uh, additional thing, Gus? Let's hear it. Uh as far as the professionalism go, uh, just about every week we have a meeting before we start our daily task, and it is announced how professional that we should conduct ourselves in our interactions with one another and also uh, how we leave the job. So that's my, the caveat that I wanted to add. Come on. Come on. I would just play it back and that's the sort of thing I would love I would write that down verbatim that's the one when we talk about Mr. Fuller and others have talked about if they have any sort of group meetings on the job ooh wee that's when you can get up and be like so you mean we shouldn't be saying things like man I will snatch your fatty out of that truck all that that's that's not professional that's not the way that we should be talking to one another and would hope that the white man who said that is sitting in the meeting so that I can say, get glass. Let me get a little water so I can clear my, 
clear my throat so that I could be heard every syllable by everyone. You don't have to mention him by name, not calling it an angel. This is an example of what is a violation of policy and procedure. Bare standards of professionalism, unless I've been misinformed and get them to absolutely. That's absurd. I never I shouldn't hear anybody talking that way. At love it, <laughs> love it, and write down everywhere. Mm-hmm, got it. Can we get that in writing, just to make sure we don't have any confusion? Because I know at some work sites they can be lax about that type of thing, and they just have people that talk to each other that type of way all day long. And I don't think that's productive for the work environment that we're in, especially since everybody's already stressed about the Rona. Phew. That's exactly the way I would put that one together and hope that the people who talk that way are sitting in the meeting. No, and nobody has been called out. Nobody's been named. So if anybody is yelling out, wow, what, what's your problem with this, Bob? Do you talk like that? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, love it. Love it. Love it. Use those public meetings uh, to your advantage, especially if they're saying constructive things about how people should behave and treating one another in a just manner. Oh, bravo. Yeah. Let's make sure we highlight everybody got it. There's no misunderstanding about this one. All righty. Let's proceed. Uh, Let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if we uh, missed you totally, if you have a hand up, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings caller in New Jersey. All right. Um, so I just wanted to update on uh, me trying to transition from plantation to um, working for myself. Um, and also want to, <laughs> since we're talking about shanks, I have a shank story uh, on, on the plantation. Um, so as right now, you know, I was approved for the truck. But however, you have to get your uh, tax ID. You have to set up your business name. So, you know, I'm in a process of that. Um, unfortunately, I went through a, um, a company who's going to set up the uh, LLC or the corporation for me. And, you know, when you drive trucks, you need a, uh MCC number. You need... Um, uh, you need a DLT number. You also in the New York area to operate your vehicle in New York. You need a hunt sticker. Um, man, very pricey um, to get all that set up. So, you know, I don't miss anything. Uh, one one company was charging $1,600. Uh, me and a partner found a company that um, charged 1200 um, unfortunately, when they tried to electronically um, get me um, certified with a DOT number, it didn't go through for some reason, so they have to go by fax and telephone. So hopefully by Monday, um, everything will work out and I have my DOT number, so I'm able to purchase truck insurance and um, also um, purchase the truck because you definitely need your tax ID number. Um, Shank situation. Um, Oh, also, uh, my father, who is working with a suspected white supremacist in a moving company who said that, hey, you know, I've never called you a nigger before and all lives matter. He wanted to give me advice on 
the trucking industry. Unfortunately, white people do know things, but I kindly told my father I declined. I, I listened, and he told me to call back, but eh, I'm 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 okay. You know that that's your friend or your employer, not mine. And I I, I don't wish to uh, really talk to the guy once I once he told me the information. Once he told me what he said, you know. You know, so, um, you know, he's a kind white man that doesn't call my father a nigga and all lives matter. I'll 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 go it on my own, you know, through trial and error. And also my partner also already has two other trucks. So I'll learn through him. And he's a black male. Um, Shank story Um, on this job. um, Man, uh, we have um, workers that are not on the books. They are helpers on the truck. Uh, This particular helper would often um, last notice, let you know, because you have to have a designated place to pick him up. Instead of letting you know a day ahead, he'll let you know when you get there waiting for him that he won't be coming to work. That puts a driver in a very tough um, situation because now you have to basically pull the route by yourself. So many drivers have fired this particular helper um, because the, the helper has knowledge of the stops. So whenever we get a new driver and this a new driver needs a helper, the management will always bring this guy back, regardless of how incompetent he is and how his work history is as far as showing up to work. When he comes to work, he works hard. Um, so he told me, you know, he was trained. We was training another driver. He came along. He was going to work with the driver. He told me that, hey, listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to work this week. I'm not working anymore. Okay. He's a non-white Hispanic, but could be classified as white Hispanic, whatever. Um, so he was on the truck, you know, so I, I, I provided another helper for the new driver. Once this helper would not be working anymore. Um, so I let him know, I said, no problem. I got somebody that's going to work with him. So that Friday, Monday, the new guy is coming to work who I, I, you know, told him he has a job under the table. He says, no, no, I changed my mind. I'm working. I said, listen, that's not how it works. You said that you're not working. I already hired somebody. I'm not about to tell this person that they don't have the job. So this particular guy is very deceptive and we get cash money to give him on Friday. I know him. So I knew if I would have gave him his five day pay, he would probably work half the day and walk off. So I said, listen, we're going to finish the day out and I'll give you the money. He, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't like the way that, uh, he didn't, he didn't like that. So a confrontation ensued and he demanded his money. And so I gave him the money from Monday to Friday. I held Friday's pay until he finished the whole day. Um, he got angry. He got out the truck, threw coffee on me. And whip the razor on me. Um, you know, so I, I 
you know, I, I didn't back down. Uh, no, nothing was physical. It was just more or less posturing like a physical altercation was going to um, happen. He left. Um, I reported it back to my company and they, um, you know, they, they said, okay, well, you know, nothing happened. They just basically moved this guy to another truck. So I'm like, okay, this guy, he, with the rate, he, 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 he brandished a razor on me and he also threw coffee on me. So you guys didn't let him go. I moved him to another truck. Well, um, white supervisor. Well, you know, you, you kind of, um, you, you didn't back down, you know, you, you also approached him. So why didn't you just leave? I'm like, okay, all right. But I'm, I'm in the union and the guy with the raise out anyway. They basically let the guy work with another employee. Unfortunately, it was unwise of me. Out of anger, I rolled by the guy, and I seen him working on the other truck, and I confronted him again. That confrontation happened. He jumped on the side of the truck. I pulled off. He lied and said I tried to run him over. He fell and went to the hospital. So I was reprimanded. I was um, I was threatened with uh, being fired, and you know, you know, I was accused of being the one who you know, escalated. Um, and you know, so I take onus to that. But the fact that you guys are still have a guy employed with the company that brandished a razor because. I didn't pay him for work he didn't he didn't do. You still kept this guy around, you know. So um, you know, I talked to the owner of the company. The owner of the company didn't you know you know didn't threaten me or say I would be fired. He he more or less gave me a speech about you know um, uh, being the bigger man. You know, you know, be, you know, be the bigger man, you know, you know, just, you know, just walk away from some situations and, um, you know, just, you know, but, you know, next time, just, you know, just, just, just let it, you know, just ignore it, you know, just be the bigger person. Um, this company is tacky. This company, um, I, I, I can't wait to get my truck. I'm, I'm just surprised I lasted this long, um, I've always kept that just in case I needed that. If anything legal was to happen, the fact that they have un um, um, workers off the books, and you know these workers also in the past have been violent with with union drivers, and and um, you know they can just kind of like you know do whatever, but you know we get fired, we'll get fired for some of the most minor infractions. But you have these undocumented helpers, um, violent, you know, that, that, is, that has threatened drivers with violence, has brandished weapons, has threatened drivers. If drivers don't want to work with these particular helpers, they have threatened to meet drivers on the route. And the company has still work with some of these helpers um unfortunately um that's that's def definitely another reason why i am 
making my exit. That's why even with the uh, owner's wife calling me and saying how Black Lives Matter and how she's going to donate to different organizations, it's laughable. I don't know, Gus, I don't know how I lasted that long on the job, but unfortunately, there are they were perks. I did let you know that there was a gas car. They paid for my gas, but unfortunately, because of they laid me off, and when I came back with corona, um, they said, you know, wait for things to pick up, and they'll, you know, give me the gas car back, um, you know, and it's just... Um, it's just been very interesting. It's been a very um, tacky experience on this job. And um, I can't wait for my tax ID number to come and my DOT number to come so I can walk off this job and become self-employed as a owner-operator. And um, that's all I have. Much obliged, call it in New Jersey context of white supremacy. Uh, I do think that's important. Uh, and best wishes uh, with your trucking uh, enterprise. I uh, hope you're able to make lots of money and able to enjoy not having to be around, you know, all that terrorism uh, and tackiness on a daily basis. Um, but even with that, all that paperwork documentation you got to have you know a hunt number and all the rest of it uh, even if you are so-called self-employed white people are still in charge and can find a variety of ways of making problems so uh, as I've said for a long time it will change how we experience racism white supremacy but it still can be an improvement this is one where it can be a change with an improvement uh, there are certainly a lot of perks also to not having to be around white people directly uh, on a daily basis where they, you know, cannot come in and directly uh, change your schedule and those type of things where you don't have other victims of racism that they are responsible for who can behave in a terrorist manner and then they don't do anything about it. Um, controlling our emotions. Thank you so much for sharing that one as well. Controlling our emotions is so important uh, in a workplace setting, really in a kind of counter racist setting in general. But especially on the job, uh, it's the most important component. Uh, if you don't control your emotions, nothing else matters. Uh, th the first part of the confrontation where you said he like threw coffee on you and, and drew a razor. I was thinking, oh, man, call the police. Call the police. Like, call the police. Like, there should be a police report. Uh, I've been assaulted. Somebody throws coffee on you. That's assault. Like, a beverage or what have you. And certainly brandishing a razor. Like, oh, yeah, call the police. Call the police call the police there should be a police report and that might impact how a job responds if it's I called the police because he brandished a weapon and I felt fearful for my life and safety so I called the police isn't that what we're supposed to do question and have somebody tell you no someone pulls a razor on you don't you call the police oh what should I do if someone pulls a razor on me that one I might want my recorder at least I gotta write yeah I'm gonna need that one in writing this is what I'm supposed to do when someone pulls a razor on me go and talk slowly I'm gonna write this down if it's not called the police but yeah I wouldn't that's one of those where yeah it wouldn't be a respond it wouldn't be going back and forth it would just be you know whatever the policy and procedure is about pay it's not too many jobs that I've been on where they give you particularly cash like 
at the beginning of a shift like that is highly irregular <laughs> um yeah but i mean once it gets to that point it's no discussing call the police um yeah and the other like wow like that is <laughs> that's like some bruce willis diehard like driving off and the fellas on the side of the truck and woof. um yeah just try as best we can especially now because now it'd probably be someone is armed it wouldn't be a razor uh it would be a firearm of some sort so yeah try as best we can avoid you know confrontations and getting rowdy with people in a workplace setting because often i'm surprised uh that they didn't terminate you because that's often what what happens in those type of uh scenarios it'll be the black person they'll say that you were the aggressor or you escalated or yeah he might have called you a nigger or yeah he threw his coffee on you but we just can't have you know niggers yelling back and then you tried to run him over with the rig and we just can't have that and you know so yeah I definitely try to minimize any sort of major flare ups that type of thing because even even if it gets to the point where you have to do a lot of yelling and such like oh man they can end up reporting that back where you threatened them and a loud black person like you are by five seconds from being OJ Simpson. So controlling our emotions, extremely important in the workplace setting. Uh, also with a non-white person, you said he's it's a non-white person who might be so-called Hispanic white. That's kind of important. Um, it's undocumented and all that. Just racial classifications are important. If I think this is someone who speaks Spanish, but who is white, like, Oh man, like that's even more important for all of this um, in terms of how I respond and all that, that I have a suspected racist, like, and I mean, it seems like that's how he was treated. He wasn't fired. He was transferred. I don't know too many black people. I don't know too, too many non-white people period who can brandish weapons on the job and they just get transferred. Like, man, I can't, shake a bag of jelly beans too aggressively on the job and you know people are looking at me <laughs> strange so I don't know uh, let's see give out the new number again again best wishes with the rig I hope you know all of the documentation comes through I hope they don't pull any fast ones and say you got to pay any more money for this or that or anything else hopefully everything will come through quickly uh, and you can hit the road get out there and be making some money and uh, have a maybe a, a more peaceful uh, work experience uh, and you can maybe you can call in and give us the compare and contrast what's better about it what's worse all that all the details uh, number again seven two zero seven one six seven three the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate Let's see other folks uh, dialed in matter of fact hang on one second we'll get some of the emails next email uh, black female victim of racism in regards to contact tracing many people are still traveling in groups and only have to self-report their information on a piece of paper at the airport in New York many times the information is false so my only advice which will be the same every week is to stay away from white people dang 
traveling in groups. I'm trying to think. So, like, does that mean people are taking like road trips, like summertime vacations type things? Like, I have seen a lot of people at the beach and stuff. So I guess that could be happening. Like, man. Hmm. Anywho, uh, I've been looking and applying for a new job. What I've noticed is that many of these recruiters actually spend a considerable amount of time trying to find out whether I'm black or not because my name doesn't sound black at all. I only noticed when I would look through my old LinkedIn account, which doesn't have any photos or race identifying information, but I have more connections that are black than white. I also would notice on my old college's networking site people at the jobs I applied for searching through anything with my name on it at this point I do not want to work with or for white people so I don't get excited when I get called for their interviews Mm. that is interesting information all the way through that they're that is interesting they're exerting a specific amount of information to detect now is this a negro going through photos trying to get more details online and I I think we have had other people who've talked about this if you don't have like identifying information in your name they can't really tell we've talked about that where sometimes they'll have lots of different coding information sometimes it'll be coding information about your zip code because they know they only allow black people to stay in one particular neighborhood of the town or one particular area sometimes it'll be by name that type of thing where you went to school at if they have any of that identifying information because they know that uh, they'll have the black people piled up disproportionately at this school or you know that type of thing Uh, so that's interesting and something that we've heard before Uh, And then that she can see the data of them looking at trying to look and and get other information, other identifying information to figure out who exactly they're talking to here. Fascinating. Uh, Then, yeah, the minimized contact, minimized contact. That would be uh, the big one. Take it seriously. Minimize contact as best we can. Uh, Avoid big public group type settings and things going to the bars and restaurants and that sort of thing avoid all of that if and where possible uh, star 61 much obliged uh, the email again until justice at gmail.com star 61 uh, for folks if you have thoughts comments observations to share let's see while folks are getting their thoughts together we should be here Saturday compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern 8 p.m. Central 6 p.m. Pacific we will be back this Sunday global Sunday talk on racism Uh, we will have our listeners from around the globe uh, with us this Sunday Uh, that is a little bit earlier uh, so that we can accommodate folks in different parts of the planet Uh, it'll be 3 p.m. Eastern 2 p.m. Central 12 p.m. Pacific 
Uh, we will certainly catch up on, you know, the responses to the virus in different parts of the planet. Uh, I am interested to see there have been so many. It's been such a enormous increase uh, in incidents of flagrant white violence uh, and particularly armed whites. Uh, being hostile with attacking black people. I'm curious to see if that has been global or if that's something that is, is just curious to the U.S. Uh, and then to think a bit more, if, if it's the latter, uh, if, if it's something that's just us, why is that? But uh, we will check in about all of that, the protests that have been ongoing. Uh, again, Sunday, Global Sunday Talk, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific, uh, the whole COVID situation has been a global response uh, of shame in many ways, uh, but the system of white supremacy also global. So I, I think it's uh, crucially important exchanging views with victims of white supremacy around the world, uh, getting bits of information both about the virus and the problem. Tune in this Sunday. Let's see. While folks are getting their thoughts together, make sure I remind folks uh, with the virus situation. I've also noted that there are a number of different uh, workplace settings where people who work. I don't know if we have folks. If we do, that would be great to hear as well. But people are being required to ask people to wear masks if you work uh, in a setting where you work with the public. And it seems like a lot of these situations have gotten violent as well. Like I would get a code, like I would want all the details about what's supposed to happen. What are we supposed to do if the person escalates like lots of details? Cause that just seems extraordinarily unsafe. And I mean, talk about training. It seems like so many people uh, thrust in this position have no training in terms of what are we supposed to be doing? Like if the person doesn't have a mask, if they don't want to wear one, if they say they're not going to wear one, like, same thing I've said like wow who's gonna if the police are not gonna do it and it doesn't seem like that's the case here in Washington State where I am who's in charge of that you know to wag a finger in your face about having a mask on it does seem like at least like going into businesses and things people are are complying at least I have not personally observed any of those instances where someone was throwing you know like a tantrum and saying they weren't going to do it and all that but man if we have any uh, workers you're in that sort of environment safety like what what is the procedure to make sure we're going to be safe if we have to do all that because wow I would not want to be involved in that at all that just seems rife with you know danger in about a billion different ways uh, also black self-respect to make sure that you are safeguarding your health and well-being race soldiers in this environment they'll do a lot to try to get us to compromise our safety do not and even if that's uh, subtly like if you work with people white people or non-white people if you work with folks and you know they're not taking the virus serious they're not wearing a mask might even be ridiculing you right for uh, washing your hands using hand sanitizer wearing a mask whatever it is social distancing whatever take it seriously and do not allow them to influence your behavior at all to the best that you can like that uh, sort of thing is probably still rent probably will be rampant for the rest of the year so 
ignore same way you would with counter racism ignore the detractors take it serious use logic especially if you have to be in a uh, workplace type setting and hopefully you are in a work environment where they take it seriously so you'll have lots of reminders and resources and support uh, to uh, maintain your health and safety uh, let's see uh, other folks uh, comments observations that they wanted to get in as well Whoops. Make sure I can... uh, let's see can I be heard, be heard Gus heard both of you uh, let's see we'll get our caller at 0620 0620 hi good evening hi good evening Gus I'm calling because uh, uh, last week on my job uh, five people five people tested positive for coronavirus and they didn't tell the soldiers they didn't tell me and my other co-worker that were, were around these people until like until like almost two weeks later and that's when they tell us to stay home but they, this was going on uh, two weeks prior to notifying us you know which is very un- un- unethical and then also <laughs> I have another race holder there uh, race soldier supervisor to every time he sees me he stares me down like I'm a thief and he looks threatening so I send an email to the to the union and tell them that I feel threatened, that I feel unsafe, that this guy is tearing me down. And in this kind of climate, with those type of race soldiers, you know, anything could happen. So, uh, you know, I'm really upset about how they lied to me and endangering my life. So now I'm home. I'm quarantined right now. Uh, they, uh, I won't be going back to work for maybe two weeks, and I'm still waiting for my test. So that's all I have to report for now and make sure that, you know, other listeners, you know, they stay on these supervisors because they like to lie about this type of situation. I meet my line, Gus. Wow. That is terrible. Um, um, and it's cause... Um, Let's see. All right. Yeah, that is terrible. And it's it's consistent because we've heard so many reports of people saying that their employers have not been forthcoming, uh, where it seems someone tested positive for the virus and they didn't find out until like a month later. Or he said five people and they wait until two weeks. Because, oh, yeah, uh, it seems that we might have had a few cases of the Rona. And uh, I mean, I thought the. The period was 14 weeks in terms of the symptoms to show and all that. And I mean, whew, man, the the just reckless disregard uh, for life. And it's not even a standard protocol, like in terms of, oh, someone tests positive. Let's stop. Make sure everybody gets checked. Make sure we're not a vector for contagion. Ah, we're good. Just keep it rolling. And then wait two weeks. And oh, maybe. We should have told them. They might have, you know, their family and friends they're concerned about. Make sure they don't take any virus home to them. Woo, man. The tackiness that we have experienced for 2020. No limits. Uh, Let's see. Uh, 
retired firefighter uh, we're going to share as well he should be with us yes sir uh, it's uh, obvious that I don't have anything personally to uh, to share uh, for obvious reasons but uh, just came to my mind to uh, talk about a uh, a report that's probably uh, known in this part of the world uh, the incident involving Mr. Cannon and uh, I'm not going to my code tells me to don't talk about what uh, the issue was in detail because it would only have me to respond he said what he said but uh, to caution if a, another reference that would add some uh, uh, understanding on to caution victims of racist white supremacy to talk about racism in their employ employment uh, and even in Mr. Cannon's place, his employment was more or less contractual, where he did have some uh, leverage within that particular business that he was involved in. But to the racist white supremacists, it does not make a difference. Uh, and uh, if you are going to speak on racism, you had better have a white person to confirm your study uh, or you're probably going to have problems. And in his case, uh, from my understanding, he lost uh, his uh, business with a uh, powerful uh, media outlet uh, in the vicinity of millions of dollars, from my understanding. Uh, so it's, uh, unfortunate, but nevertheless, a, uh, clinic should be for non-white people to, uh, have that understanding, uh, on the good side with Mr. Cannon, uh, I think he has been offered by a, another victim of racist white supremacy to go into business with him, uh, in the matter so that's possible something as an option that he can uh he can utilize but to i would say to those of us who are attempting to study and practice counter-racism uh under the people activity of labor uh with the advent of quote-unquote talking about racism white supremacy on your job and or calling white people racist, they are probably going to demand that you prove it. And you are going to have some problems in doing that. And uh, that particular instance that took place a few days ago, uh, in my analysis, is an example of that problem. And uh, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Much, much obliged, retired firefighter. Context of white supremacy, victim of white supremacy. Nick Cannon generated a lot of uh, publicity this week, being terminated. Lots of victims of racism get in trouble talking about racism, white supremacy. 
the folks at the CDC said they were scared to speak out, afraid of uh, retaliation. So I'm sure Mr. King's been in uh, business for a long time, uh, entertainment. So I'm sure he will uh, find other uh, endeavors, other projects and things. But man, it is. uh, And I think the same thing reminded me so much of. Uh, Professor Griff, he's been a guest on the program, Public Enemy. It's been a number of black people who've got into a lot of trouble, lost jobs, been accused of saying something so-called anti-Semitic. I think it's a black football player having the same problem right now. Uh, If anything, that would be a spectacular reminder. The problem is not so-called Jews. The problem is the system of white supremacy individuals classified as white racist man racist woman racist child that is the problem that would eliminate a whole lot of that you know he's so-called anti-semitic and you know all the rest of it but vgq yes sir whatever some folks think that i guess it'll be every every generation or so they got to have a professor griff and a minister louis farrakhan and Nick Cannon. It's been quite a few. Uh, Jesse Jackson. It's been quite a few. Quite a few. Oh, we got the racist, the racist Negro. Yes, yes. Anywho, uh, VGQ to Mister Cannon. Uh, let's see, folks who dialed in to have comments, questions they wanted to make sure they get in. Line should be open. Hi, Gus be in Toronto yes thank you Um, there was also another thing that I wanted to urge everyone to do um, in particular for those who are a part of a union and have benefits is to definitely review the types of benefits that are available to you and the reason why I say this is because I had spoken to Another uh, parent um, who is who's a, a black parent, and um, she has a child who's diagnosed with autism. Uh, so, um, just in my spare time, I had connected her with resources on how she can get additional funding for her child. Uh, because I'd say about two plantations ago, I I was um, a coordinator. Uh, helping families with this very thing of uh, helping developmental, um, uh, sorry, developmental disability um, within children and how to access funding. So I had provided her this funding and she had mentioned that her husband worked um, as a mail clerk with Canada Post. And uh, incidentally enough, Canada Post also has a benefit feature, um, which ironically, um, herself and she told me her husband didn't know about this, where uh, they have a fund um, for um, developmental uh, disabled children where they can get even more money for uh, summer camps, March break camps, um, uh, respite workers, um and also, uh, just and it's it's uh, it comes in the form of a check. Uh, they don't pay taxes on it. It's it's a part of their benefits. So, what I would urge um, callers and listeners to whom it would apply 
to to review those benefits and maximize the use out of it. Even if um, this, because this was a one particular situation, um, even if it comes to things like for self care, like massages, you can get um, reimbursed on massages. You can get reimbursed on orthopedic shoes. You can get um, reimbursed on many things, but not many people use the benefits, or at least not many people from our community use those benefits, and it goes to waste. So maximize those resources, review them, and use them. Thank you, and I leave the line. Oh, that is spectacular. Uh, if you're able to work in fields or have jobs where you're able to accumulate skills or learn about services that you can share with other victims of racism. Oh, heavenly. Uh, I'm sure, you know, some of the families that you were able to help, that is, I'm sure they were super appreciative uh, of getting those type of tips where you can get extra resources to help your child. Like, oh, that is that. And that's what I mean. Like a lot of times, they'll have resources like that around the world. They'll have resources like that. Sometimes it'll be connected to your job or whatever, but you'll just have to either know the correct questions to ask or paperwork to fill out or whatever it is. If you don't know that information, if you don't have somebody to tell you often a white person can end up missing out. That is very, very common. So great that's why i said try to be curious try to learn as much as you can that is constructive uh while you're at uh or on your job that's why i shouldn't be sitting around gossiping and talking about what outfit somebody had on and what was on tv last night there's so many uh constructive things that we need to know like that's what we should be looking out for that's what we're listening out for not you know nonsense like that and then trying to share that information and implement it personally as best we can so Bravo, bravo. Uh, let's see. Number again. 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Other folks, uh, comments to share. Um, Gus, uh, caller from New Jersey. Can I? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, caller. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, caller in New Jersey. I guess they'll allow you to finish. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I, it was just real interesting what you said, and it was just very interesting when we, um, because it was just like this constant kind of like campaign that, you know, black liberation is going to come from, um, you know, entrepreneurship. And um, like you stated, and with my journey, you know, I mean, there's so many um, documents that you have to have. Um, there's um, quarterly taxes that, that you have to pay. So, you know, depending on what you're doing, I mean, are you are you really independent when you now you're beholden to the IRS? You know, because if you if you if you don't practice due diligence and you don't stay on top of uh, the money received, the money that you receive, then that has to be um, given to um, the IRS. 
you know, they can shut you down. Or if you don't have the proper documentation, they can just basically, in the field that I'm going in, you know, they can ground you. You know, they can basically make you um, uh, park your truck where you can't operate it, you know. So, um, you know, even when we talk about entrepreneurship as being a way uh, for black liberation, um, you know, I even question that. Um, so uh, I think that my reasons for wanting to be um, independent is um, at 41 years old, I value my time. And I know it's going to be a lot of time I'm have to put into driving. But at the same time, it's still the freedom where if, if, if I choose, if I save up enough money and I choose to take a week off, you know, I don't have to ask anybody. So um, that's what um, liberation means to me as far as um, um, being in business with yourself. Um, my goal is to acquire uh, a total of three trucks, and it would just be a pleasure for me to um, give other people opportunities to drive for me and, you know, make money. You know, I mean, black people. I, I don't, you know, unfortunately, like, I think that um, I'm not afraid to say that, you know, I want to put other black people behind the wheels of the trucks that I purchase um, in the future. So um, that's just been my observation. Um, and I definitely agree with what you say. Um, even if you are an entrepreneur, you are still beholden to powers um, greater than you. Just going by the record, you know, making sure we don't lie to ourselves and if you want to be a successful entrepreneur you definitely can't lie to yourself can't be you know sitting up here acting like black people rule the world and that's not the case uh so you want to be honest about that even to be successful in your business so yeah that's why compare and contrast you can let us know i've never said not to do not to go into business or anything like that just don't think that's gonna end our problems with the system it will not uh that is should be painfully obvious uh at this point so yeah they have lots plus lots of even personal stories black people i know where they went to do all that licensing and everything and they would go in on monday and they would say oh okay you need you know got to get license a and that one is uh five hundred dollars get license a you have to renew that every year blah, 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 and they come back okay so they come back Bambo filled out the paperwork $500 license A alright Bambo see license A $500 oh no 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 license A is not $500 license A is $5,000 yeah so you have to go back you uh that's yeah you didn't even get started yeah $500 where'd you get $500 who told you that me oh no I always said it was $5,000 I said it was $5,000 on Monday it was $5,000 when I talked to you on Monday it's $5,000 today so it's $5,000 for the license so you <laughs> All kinds of little games uh, that they can do uh, for black entrepreneurs, so-called. Uh, in fact, they had, where's the report? It was in the New York Times. That was just this week. Black business owners had a harder time getting federal coronavirus aid, a study finds. Black business owners are more likely 
to be hindered in seeking coronavirus financial aid than their white peers, a new study has found. The study looked at how more than a dozen Washington area, they mean my Washington or... I think this is like where I am, Watch, That's crazy. The study looked at how more than a dozen Washington area banks handled requests for loans under the federal government's Paycheck Protection Program. It was conducted by the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, a nonprofit in Washington, in partnership with researchers from universities in Utah and New Jersey. There you go. From late April to May, the researchers and the nonprofit, which supports better access to capital for low-income and minority communities sent pairs of would-be loan applicants to branches of 17 banks in each pair a black borrower and a white borrower shared similar credit and asset characteristics so the only difference between them was their race to make the study more conservative the researchers gave each black borrower a slightly better financial profile than his or her white counterpart the black borrowers were offered different products and treated significantly worse by employees than white borrowers were in 43% of the tests the study found. Of the 17 banks, some of which were tested through multiple branches, 13 had at least one test in which a white borrower was treated better than his or her black counterpart. In the rest of the tests, the black pairs were treated relatively equally or the difference wasn't significant enough to count as a violation of fair lending laws in the researchers views I will stop there but they've had lots of reports like that where uh, black businesses even now braces disparities they'll call them white supremacy racism still being practiced against black business owners so even in a more general sense just them deciding which businesses can be open which businesses can't Lots of ways. Incidentally, just with the trucking, before we get the caller who yielded, the trucking industry, in the midst of all this, I didn't know the white truckers like Reginald Denny is a rallying cry for them. I didn't know that. I guess I'm not in the trucker culture, but they have a lot of posts. uh, Reginald Denny, never again. Reginald Denny, talking about the protesters and blocking the roads like they have been like explicit like we are not stopping and if you're out there on the road well pfft, tough titty because we're not like wow Reginald Denny never again Reginald Denny white truckers serious with it uh, the caller who yielded uh, for victim in New Jersey much obliged May I be heard? Greetings, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Uh, I was trying to get my notes together. Um, So uh, there's going to be one that I'm going to save for next week because it's a bit done packed. uh, But I have... uh, seven reports uh, really quick. Um, The first is there was a conversation somewhat that occurred that I was uncomfortable with. Uh, It was me and the uh, black female supervisor of the area uh, early in the morning on Monday. Um, 
So she was doing a uh, a request on the film machine, and she just did like a cough or whatever, two coughs, and the tone was somewhat seductive in my opinion for cases. And so she said, "Oh, well, you know, I think that went down the wrong pipe or whatever." Said, "Oh, Blank, you might have need to come over here and do the Heimlich maneuver on me." Says, "You do know how to do that, do you?" I said, "No, I never done that." So, so yeah, you know, you may have to uh, come on over here if I, you know, in one of these days I start coughing or. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, wow, are you serious? But I didn't say that. I just didn't respond. Um, the reason I say this is because I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that to any person, especially in this day and age. Um, like close contact like that. All right. Um, that's something that I strongly advise to avoid. Um, this is not me saying that you shouldn't try to help anyone or save anyone, but it's just for, for the things that they've done to me, uh, over the years, I just, um, definitely recommend trying to avoid that, especially a black male employee. Um, my second report is, there was a joke that was shared by a customer. So when, okay, it's this trend where before they hang up, now you've been courteous to them. And I guess they show um, a sense of comfort and want to reveal a part about themselves. So with white people, it tends to be jokes. So he says, Hey, you know, you want to hear a quote unquote, terrible joke. I said, go ahead. So he says, uh, you know, I just skinned and grilled a chicken and he still couldn't tell me why he crossed the road. <laughs> that That's how the joke went. I, I never heard the joke phrased in that way. Um, I know that's a common one. Why did the chicken cross the road or whatever? But that's interesting. He said that he, you know, plucked and grilled and skinned or whatever. And he says, he, he still can't tell me why he didn't or why he did cross the road or whatever. Uh, my third one is, uh, these are from two different click members. Uh, this one is from a Facebook post and it said mud holes, mud holes. The only place where it's enjoyable to pull out. And it has, a Jeep, the vehicle named the Jeep, and it has mud all over it. The amount of likes from not only people, but from the people that work in the office, and one of them is retired, all thumbed it up. Okay? Now, obviously, it's uh, some very raunchy, um, I guess risque and sexual connotations in that. And I thought definitely, I think it's a Wilson moment as well. Uh, brown substances, mud. Uh, so I screenshot that one. And the next one is from uh, another click member. And they, and I, and I've heard that they've been calling themselves the mean girls, but I just say the click. Um, so she posts one that says, if your life met like Y E R with that Southern country twang, 
if your life matters so much, why are you standing in the road? All right. So now this is going to connect to the uh, report that I'm going to share next week. But this person has totally taken all of that down and just uh, made a page somewhat private. All right. So, but that's why, that's why it's good to make a record screenshot once again. So I got that in the one before, uh, my, my next one, I have three more left. Um, there was a comment made by the click member that posted a mud hole comment or post to another white woman that works in the drive-thru. And I guess they were talking about a customer. And the comment she made is, well, you know what? When I woke up this morning, I said, let's make them mad. And she giggled after she said that. Now, I don't know who them is. Let's make them mad. Them mad. So that's, that's them admitting it right there. Like, I wake up wanting to cause uh, misery most likely on somebody non-white. One of my last two is I was bringing in a couple of boxes from the post office. So the bailiff was like, hey, what's in uh, in those boxes? You can just send them through the machine. So I said, okay, I'll put them on there. And, uh, you know, when it comes to imports and things coming from other, what they call uh, countries, this was coming from Colombia. So in big black text, on the side, it says made in Colombia. All right. So I could predict that something racist was going to be shared. All right. So I send the boxes through the machine and the first one goes through. So I guess they can't really tell what was inside of it. And the other white guy, he stood there and, uh, he says, Oh, it says made in Colombia. Hey, I hope it's not cocaine. So the other guy, he's looking at the screen and apparently it's face masks. It's uh, just some face masks that I guess court administration has ordered. So it's something constructive. All right. So he said, well, you don't need to put the other three boxes on there. So I get the boxes and put them on the cart and I wheel them upstairs. And you know, that was that. And this is a double whammy about the made in Columbia, non-white people uh, with darker skin. Um, this time is a white woman that uh, shared the racist venom. Um, at the same time, I was going to get the pickup from upstairs. And she also looked at the three words made in Columbia. And she says, oh, those dang Colombians, they probably rubbed their hands on it and spread the coronavirus all over it. So I replied and I said, well, from what I've seen, I don't think that's the situation in this case. So I delivered the, I helped deliver the items and I went on about my day, but that was two from a white man and from a white woman. So, but mainly it's the uh, white woman being dominant with this behavior. Um, and one last thing, I just wanted to say that definitely you are alone when it comes to, uh, studying the system of white supremacy on the job. And I, I, I just function in a way like I don't really 
rely on any of the other victims or anybody to help me with uh, countering the racism they practice there. And that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak. United Independent. We do not have a tag team partner, teammate, homies, none of that. United Independent. In fact, uh, if anything, you can expect them to maybe stick a foot up and try and trip you up on the way or something of that nature. That is the system that we have. Don't be shocked about that either. But certainly not non-white people are not going to be on your side uh, in countering racism. United Independent. Um, the that that's that's a new one. I had not heard that the Colombians are spreading the Rona by contaminating their exports. Like that is news. Like mm-hmm. is anybody doing something about that? Are they investigating? Do we need to get the CIA involved? I don't even know who has jurisdiction over that. But uh, make sure no more Colombian coffee cocaine or anything else if that's what's happening um, that I don't know if that's just tacky racism in general or racist joke like the Rona is spreading because they're wiping their hands on everything dirty Colombians and then of course they ship cocaine that's all they do is ship cocaine um, in the midst of the Rona crisis, they have to keep going. Man, the opioids. My goodness. All the white people doing opioids. Is that the Colombians too? They do opioids, cocaine, and then they are transmitting the Rona. That's the Colombians. Uh, let's see. Woke up. The- Man. Now, I woke up this morning. I wanted to check on my basil. Think about when I wanted to practice yoga. Getting things together uh, for the counter-racist programming. Content we're trying to produce. She got up this morning. Ooh, how can I get them mad? Mm. That right there. It was said earlier in the program. Say it one more time. White people can show you better than I can tell you. You can think here. Did anybody here any time this year? Because we had a bad year. So we probably been upset with a whole lot of people. Anybody this year. Did you get up out of bed? Ooh, I cannot wait till I can get Fred upset. Ooh, I cannot wait. Angela is going to get it. Did you wake up? That was the first thought that you had when you got out of bed was, I'm going to make somebody mad. I'm going to get this. What can I do that's non-constructive to harm? Anybody this year had that thought? It's not a billion of us or a small sample size, but I'm just saying uh, it was said to me some time ago, man, system of racism, white supremacy, white people, they, they, they must think a lot differently than non-white people. Cause I just don't sit around and think about harming people. Had a five-year-old tell me that I don't sit around and think about mistreating people like white people. The way they think must be way different from non-white people because I just don't sit around thinking about mistreating people all day long who sits around and thinks about how do you have a freaking book white dog where they keep saying man somebody this is a remarkably well trained racist dog all day long I just think about mistreating I wake up out of bed think about mistreating people 
what does it mean? And she works at the courthouse. <laughs> you supposed to be about justice at the courthouse. How you work up thinking about mistreating somebody? I'm going into the courthouse. I'm a mistreat. <laughs> going to the well, they do hand out a lot of jail terms, so I guess some congruence. Uh, let's see. The mud hole. Now the metaphors. I said again. Now, mm. click members should listen to the program because they would at least get one. That social media will be your undoing. It's 2020. Like everybody should wise up about that. Uh, I don't even think private page is enough. Like, because I said that before. Because if you have a private page and you have a homie that's non-white, but they're not codified, and they see something on your page, and boop, they screenshot or share or whatever, and you know. Forget all the social media is just going to get you in trouble uh, in 2020. You definitely should not be here because the same thing could be happening the same way you're hearing uh, where he can go on and look at their posts and follow and look at all the information. Just watching for a few months, looking at different posts and what they like and that sort of thing. They can they do. I was going to say they can't. They do the exact same thing. So you should not. Uh, be on social media under your name and you definitely you are not friends uh, with any of the homies uh, at work now that said uh, the mud hole the only place it's fun to pull out like Welsing moment yeah the sexual like double meaning there uh, particularly they have a term sexual subtext rather but they have a term uh, mud sharks this is uh, we talked about it on the program before this is a term for white women who engage in sexual intercourse with black males you all can search it if you like but it's mud sharks same type of thing um, yeah to be sharing so, and for that to be wildly like ah oh, yes all of it the fascination I don't know do we have people here that's something that you enjoy? I'm not even knocking it I just haven't done it do we have people that's something that you love to do to go out in your vehicle or motorcycle or four wheeler and ride around in the mud like not ride around but in the mud specifically and just get mud running all over the vehicle anybody is that something that you all enjoy doing I'm not knocking it. I wasn't going to make fun of anybody if, you know, you had done so. I'm just saying, I have not done that. I, I mean, you got to wash the car, right? Just sounds like a lot of extra work, um, time and energy. Like, why not just wash the car and stay out of the mud? <laughs> that seems like the better way to do things, but much less to get excited about running and jumping in mud. Like, hmm. And then that somehow is a sexual experience. Hmm. And especially you called black people mud people. Down in the mud and all the rest of it. Like your name is mud, right? They got all these phrases where it seems like they're disparaging mud and people that look like mud calling black people dirt and all the rest of it. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, why did the chicken cross the road? I skinned and grilled him. And he still couldn't tell me. I would just write that one down. Maybe give them a hmm. Yeah. Even though I do think in a system of white supremacy, a white person, anytime a white person is telling a black person a joke, 
And then especially a white person telling a black person to joke about chicken. Yeah, I wouldn't. And in fact, that might even be. Why are you telling me a joke about chicken? That might be enough just to call their attention to it. Get back in the question lane. But just, yeah, why are you? Is that what you woke up this morning? Like, ooh, that nigger at the courthouse. Yes, I'm going to tell him that chicken joke. <laughs> like, really? Uh, let's see. Before I even comment, I'm CPR certified. Yoga instructor, you have to get, you know, CPR certification. So I'm supposed to be all about like, oh, my gosh, someone is, you know, you need a CPR. <laughs> you know, let's do some first aid or what? I'm supposed to be the first person to run forward. Oh, oh, call 911. Is the person breathing? Oh, you know, all of that. I'm like, yes, let's get to it. Make sure you're not going to choke on my watch, man in a system of white supremacy they just said hey we this is uh they were gonna shank him at the courthouse we had the caller before he said man he looks like he could shank someone out of the right we've heard that before they were gonna shank him at the courthouse this fella here now why am i gonna be putting my hands on people without a whole lot of thought if on a regular day they think I'm smuggling cocaine worthy of being shanked might have brought a firearm into the courthouse I remember that one if that's how I thought of on a regular basis why am I going to be touching this white woman in an intimate way nah I'm good we better have we better have somebody else here who's CPR certified because I'm going to be real lagful in getting to this white woman to do CPR I'll call 911 I got you 911 I got you if you could just hang on they will be, we heard the uh, paramedics at the beginning, right? Freedom House, they will be here. I guarantee you. I'll just count it down. Just hang in there. I'm with you on the phone. I'm giving them all the information. That homelick is, I, I just, Bill Cosby, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> I'm CPR, so Bill Cosby, you know. I'll go get someone else. We got to have somebody at the courthouse. The click member, one of them, they got to be CPR. We can, we'll get that knocked out for you. That is the system. Why we need to urgently get the imagine that someone chokes and you got to pause and think. They said that in the sound clip. They would go to help someone to do the and to do the IV and they would whoa 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 whoa. I told you all we just talked about that in Einstein on race and racism, and they said who would uh what white person would get upset if a black person was going to? And I said oh ho 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 you are wrong there because I've seen that a whole lot of times where racists have said oh no don't you put your nigger hands on me I don't care what the situation is if if I'm going to die I'll just be meeting white Jesus today but don't you put your hands on me it's whole books written about that and to just get that to come up again today in the audio segment where they said that like oh wait a minute is this nigger really doing oh no no, no. gotta be something there. I know I'm bleeding out and all that but nigger is gonna put his hands up come on come on come on no thanks i'm good on it particularly if you're making some little uh trashy remarks like "Ooh, might have choked might need you to come what what is going on <laughs> like and then i come over and say oh oh do you need help oh my lord bill cosby come on come on come on in fact that's one turn and run anything that even sounds like that 
I am gone. I got whatever I needed to get, and thank you kindly. I will talk to you later. Like, I hope you have 911 speed dialed or at least have enough. You can breathe long enough to call someone else in the courthouse. Like, gone. Anything that even sounds like someone is making some sort of sexually suggestive comment, I have got to go. Nature calls. I got to go to the bathroom. Something. And then that person would be marked like, make sure I am not alone with you uh, in any closed space. Cannot just be you and I like ever. You are extraordinarily dangerous. Like, uh, yeah, white women, man, uh, good observation as well about the white women and the tacky comments and such that they were making, uh, in the workplace, <sighs> the courthouse, man, no justice at the courthouse. Uh, other folks, any comments they want to make as we go to the home stretch? We'll be here tomorrow for the compensatory call in 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific. Any final thoughts? Have you heard? Yes, sir. Uh, just really quick, um, I was just thinking about uh, the the black female mother and how the codification that the group of white people are practicing uh, because we are on two different schedules, so I'm not entirely sure of uh, what is going on, but I think something has occurred within the last couple of days and and I'm just thinking that it's at least like a 10 to 1 assault pretty much like 10 people you know in one way or another toward one victim so um, once again this was the, the person that did the the uh, Juneteenth post and the deception that's going on even bringing in the new people into uh the racist culture um, and even to the point where the uh, the white female that I reported about last year that used to manipulate uh, the black female into doing the work for her, the uh, black female that I speak with, she said they, she used the word codified. They did a codified reaction when she walked into the side that I work on she said it looks like they were speaking about something um, personal, and then they switched up the conversation when she walked in. Uh, so it's definitely every uh, white person is on the suspect list. So even the ones where it seemed like, oh, well, you know, I understand that you can come talk to me. No, like the uh, the racism is still there. The venom is still there. So that that's all I wanted to add. So they acclimate the new employees to the racist culture. Racist jokes often are a big part of that. Uh, but that's so tacky. Like, I thought we were all in this together. They have big billboards that say that, don't they? Like, we're all in this together. You got a black mom 
no man i hope hope she's dealing with this okay and a child's you know school situation and blah 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 no get the whole uh, form like voltron get the whole office aligned against the black mom mad she's not the only one with children i care about her i thought you just liked her facebook post like what <laughs> the animosity like and again that's the sort of spirit when you wake up we're gonna get her sitting there and here taking days off who does she think she is what does it mean to be white I wake up thinking of unjust ways to harm black moms black fathers black children disgraceful at the courthouse no less at the courthouse Uh, folks satisfied We will be here tomorrow. Compensatory call in Sunday, the global Sunday talk on racism. Uh, We'll be looking forward to kind of getting the lay of the land. Is the violence, is it something unique what's happening in the U S right now? Or is this, you know, standard operating procedure worldwide? White people are being more hostile and more aggressive, even though it would have to be a little bit different because they don't have the proliferation of firearms in other parts of the globe. Uh, even in you know predominantly white areas, they don't have firearms the way that they do here. So we shall see. Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, 12 noon Pacific. Uh, much obliged for everyone's participation. I uh, hope it was worthy of your Friday evening. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. I don't know if they have restarted the uh, happy hour and all that nonsense yet hopefully they have not hopefully that'll be gone that'll be a you know casualty of the rona too uh but sobriety uh let's keep our brain computer working well in the midst of all this confusion so that we can be thinking you know correctly about what's happening and making good decisions uh in addition to being sober i'm still of the opinion it would be best to stay inside Uh, i think one of our listeners who wrote in contact tracing uh she said hey Stay out of stay away from white people. Probably try to avoid big groups, things of that nature. Sounds smart. Uh, I would stay in if you can. Uh, If you go out, I would be strategic. Same thing I've been saying really for most of the year. Be very alert. Uh, If it looks unsafe, if it looks like a white person is getting riled up at you personally or someone else, you should be thinking, is this person armed? Uh, Do I need to get out of here right now? value your uh, life value your safety and security if you're in charge of other people but uh, if anything looks like it's getting out of hand it is time to go there's no saving face none of that let's get out of here immediately Uh, avoid any sort of skirmishes confrontations uh, with whites in public Uh, no raising the voice none of that it's time to go it's time to go it's very dangerous on the plantation right now it's a lot of armed race soldiers badge no badge doesn't matter it's lots of arms race soldiers have that that's why it's a good reason to be sober so you can be paying attention when these type of things might be evolving right before your eyes Uh, so if you go out you are sober you are buckled you are super vigilant and if you are driving you are not on the cell phone that way you can be super vigilant and just doing the little things to minimize contact with race soldiers 
badge or no. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's brother. Your problem? You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.